and go live in the middle of a sentence so that they don't even know that I was just trying to figure out what to say and it was going to take longer to figure out what to say and say something cool than to do what, and it's not Glenn Beck, who's the... Rush Limbaugh. And to do what Limbaugh, what Limba does, which is just starts talking before the mic goes, so you always feel like you're late to the conversation and you want to know what happened before and now everyone thinks we have a show going, hello everybody, it's Friday afternoon, it's the 1st of May, May Day, COVID-19 style 2020. Pastor Jonathan Fisk with Pastor Brian Wolfmiller. We're not really planning much here other than to hang out and chat with each other, which we haven't done in, I'd say, two and a half weeks or so. Which is like two years in um, COVID time. As as you know, if you follow or listen at all, that, you know, when Brian and I chat, a lot of our chat is is knowing God. A lot of it is theology. It's how we practice our, our, our trust of our God in our life. Um, and so it's often worth hearing and or sharing or pondering. So we're inviting you along this afternoon, again, without a particular plan per se, uh, but he and I just want to catch up and now you're here too. We definitely will keep an eye on the comments in the side. And so, uh, Brian will, uh, uh, do that more than I, I think he's probably already like deep I into got it. Him. He's like, where's the one with the picture of me? Where's that one at? Where can I pull well, it out? I was out? wondering if I should send a super chat and say, you can have Wolf Mueller on your show more <laughs> right. often. So with Super Chat too, by the way, if you Super Chat, I'll throw it out there. You can maybe derail us, you can maybe not. The law of Super Chat is, it's a gift, and uh, there is no law of Super Chat, but I always love it when you do it, because it makes me feel loved. Um, that being said, okay, so Brian, how'd this start? You texted me because you wanted to talk about one specific thing. Um, I said, sure, great, let's do it, and I want to catch up anyway. So that was, what was that? A couple days ago, I got two things on my mind. They're related to each other, though. One is, I, I wonder. I'm I'm reflecting about how much hasn't changed with the with the with the pandemic and the lockdown orders. I'm I'm really intrigued by that because I was just imagining like a home a stay at home order 50 years ago versus stay at home order today. Like how how different that is because of the, I mean the ways we can communicate with each other. That was one. And then a related topic is a copyright stuff. It occurred to me as we were, you know, we're post, everybody's posting their services online now. And three months ago, two months ago, that was illegal to do. And, um, oh, I didn't even think about that. That's a crazy thought, man. So, why was that illegal? I mean, that's a jump right there. Why was it illegal a couple of months ago? Or is it still illegal and people are just doing it anyway? Well, some things are illegal, but, but for example, Concordia Publishing House, who holds the copyright for the hymnal, they said during this time, their base, I mean, there's restrictions on it. I don't know if anybody's actually paying attention to the minutia of the restrictions, but they basically said, we are giving everybody like the same permission that you would have if you were buying permission with the service builder and everything. We're basically giving everyone permission to broadcast their services. And, uh, did you get raptured? Can you boost your gain at all from your end? We're getting comments yeah, yeah. here a little quiet. Yeah. I'm just trying to boost you on my soundboard. Right, how about that? Is it coming in better? Uh, it might not. Yeah, I think it is. It could be that because Zoom will automatically level it, won't they? Yeah, Might but we're Zoom not relying on Zoom too much. I got you. I got you boosted okay. from this end now. We're good. So, so continue uh, on. What were we talking about? Oh, yeah. So the so CPH basically Concordia Publishing House basically said, "All right, you guys can broadcast your services," which was a change. Now that and they acknowledged that that was a change, right? And um, yeah, right. Because prior you would not have had the right to put into a recordable format text and music that was under copyright law, right? Mm. For and mm-hmm. it's because of the potential that it could be recorded and then sold, 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, what? So, so a couple of things were happening because the easiest way to get into—I mean, just to, like to think through this just a little bit. I mean, I haven't thought that far into it, so you can push me. But, like, you, Jonathan, always were hoping that there would be a whole network of confessional Orthodox people, pastors, and anybody, theologians, broadcasting their stuff. Mm, yeah. And it never really happened. There's mm-hmm. just a handful of us that are doing it. But you just have to, so you just look at the, at the steps into that. And the easiest way into it is just to capture what you're doing already. Uh, but there's, there's a, there was like a huge moat to, to get through to the castle of online broadcasting. And that is that the st- if you just took the stuff that most guys are doing on most Sundays or even on hmm. like in Bible class or services, it, you could, it, was, it was locked down under copyright. Well, now, because out of necessity, I mean, guys were going to do it anyways. Mm-hmm. But so CPH, you know, God be praised, they come along and say, do it. Don't worry about it. I, that's what I think they said. But so, so this becomes a big a thing now because the barriers to just to getting online, to, mm. to starting a YouTube channel, to putting videos up there have now been, been lowered. And you, and you know the point of this. I mean, like anytime you watch one of these how to start doing YouTube stuff, They'd say, just start, uh, just get going, and you learn on the fly. I mean, you just yeah. get better at it because you're just not afraid to try. Well, there's a lot of guys that are afraid to try. Like, you know, you know this. There was we, Evan and I have a couple guys that we like to have come on Table Talk when we used to have guests, and they wanted to know the questions that we were going to ask so they could prepare their answers. And we're like, no, that's just not how. But guys want to – Only you know, if you want to make it boring. Right. <laughs> There's, but that intimidation factor. But now guys are on it, and and they're doing, and it's terrible. I mean, I, what is this great meme that I saw? Carrie showed it to me. It was a pastor's wife thing, and she said, "Oh Lord, please help my husband's online service not look like an Osama bin Laden capture video." Oh, that's funny. Ah, that's great. <laughs> really, they do. They look terrible, but it doesn't matter because mm-hmm. they're going to get better, and mm-hmm. they're going to get better like this. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. Mean, the curve is the curve is a is a spike. At least, yeah, at least fast. initially, yeah, yeah, yeah. And now, and now, all of a sudden, all the stuff is out there. Choo, choo, choo. So the, so you just wonder how much suppression was happening. This is, I mean, this is kind of because of the copyright laws. It was just kind of keeping the lid on the thing. Uh, I think but, it's necessity, right? What is it? There's a proverb too, right? It's not the Bible proverbs, but necessity is the bedfellow of invention. Is that what it is? I think that is it. Uh, and, and so what you see happening is that. And, and I, I weep on this a little bit with the speed with which we said, nope, there's no way to do the Lord's Supper. Uh, a lot of guys said our only option, therefore, is to go to go online and do something online. And so you, you're just compelled to do it because if you're not able to do something online right now, you have no contact with your flock. I mean, you can be like making a phone call to somebody every day, all day long. That would be an option, right? And maybe there's some guys that are doing out there, but far more efficient is to pull together some sort of video or, um, or audio or group meeting or whatever, right? And so you just, you're just compelled to learn because if you care about your people, you can't go a month and a half without making contact with them, right? Uh, and so it's mm-hmm. necessity is the bedfellow. Is it bedfellow? Yeah. Brother, necessity arm. is the mother. There it is. Adventure. Thank you. My so, dad always said it like this. He said, uh, "An empty stomach makes a sharp mind." You know what? I've been thinking about that thought, but from a totally different direction. But I love it. An empty, an empty stomach makes a sharp mind. Um, yeah. Uh, why are you bored? It's because you're not hungry. 
You're not hungry. You're not the hungry. hungry you get, you know, you're going to figure out a way to find some food. And you're going to say, something. I wonder if I can eat those leaves. You has got to be hungry. we got a super chat from Mrs. Harris. She says, uh, uh, feel that we love you. Smiley face, smiley face. Thank you, Mrs. Harris. Is that you plural or is it you singular? I you couldn't know? tell you. It'd be y'all or ye, or I want to bring back the old, what is it? Thou? Yeah. Thou, thou is the... That's singular. The thou... I don't think so. The is you is plural. Yes, the Y's are the plural. It has the two. The U's the plural, and the t- and the t- thou and the is singular. So wait, the okay. I love. So if you say yeah, the, yeah, yeah. So the I love with all my heart. Like that's the the nominative, right? Yeah. Right. All the T's are singular, and all the Y's are so ye and you. That's all plural. I'm glad right, I right, can right, teach right. something today. Wait, but it's not yow. There's no yow. Y- thou. Okay, give me all of them and just tell me what they mean. Tell me all of them. Define ye, them. Ye means you. all. Right? You all. Yeah, yeah you all. Yeah, okay. Your. That's that's the genitive of second person plural. Your. Right. And that's where there's overlap, right? Like there's, or is there a, no, the, is there a thine? The is the, the, the <laughs> thy, thou. That's all. I'm What's sorry. so funny? The, what we're trying the to do right now vow. is going to be the worst TV show <laughs> ever. Or uh, uh, declining, declining the um, uh, second person <laughs> pronouns. Slightly late medieval English pronouns. Uh, here today for you, Friday afternoon. Maybe we should should shift that topic back to copyright law. That's great though. No, it's, it's ye is y'all for sure. And that's what we should bring back. And that's what we what got us on off track. Right? Yeah, because we're trying to figure out if Mrs. Harris loves just you. <laughs> that's right. Or the both of us. I don't know. It's oh, probably important in to Jesus, figure that out. In Jesus, I'm sure it's the both of us, Brian, <laughs> at the end of the day. So I have a little comment to, to continue our copyright thoughts here. Because um, this really wasn't connected to copyright at all. But when your text came to me, it made me think, holy moly. Like, that's exactly the same direction of this other thought I've been having. Which had more to do with, um, if I'm remembering right, a meditation on Gnosticism as a false teaching that is prevalent or even the primary false teaching that exists, period, right? Like all heresy is Gnosticism at the end right, of the day. Right. All heresy is a rejection of creation at the end of the day. And so I wrote down this little sticky note and it says, um, and I'll say it twice, I think, so that you can get the idea, but free knowledge is the essence of all that is good. Hidden knowledge is the craft of wicked men and the devil himself. And then I'm going to say that again in a moment, but then what struck me was that what I just said could be summarized or, or bullet pointed also as Genesis 1 and 2, free knowledge is the essence of all that is good. God speaks and it comes to be, it is good. Uh, Genesis 3, hidden knowledge is the craft of wicked men and the devil himself. You know, what you will be, but you can't see until you do it. And I'll tell you how, that's what the devil himself brings into the world and Adam invites into the world with lies. So that, so that the idea of copyright itself is to some extent hiding truth. Um, but this applies to far more than just that, okay? So I, I'm, not, I'm not the crusader against copyright just yet, um, although I don't care. That's kind of my position. I'm apathetic. It's the society I live in. I will pray for its well-being, and whatever it has, I'll work with it for what it is. But for me, is, this is an even bigger idea, to know that when, when I'm talking with you as a friend and I don't give you all that I could for your good and information— 
uh, I hide it from you, that this is the, this is the lie, right? Um, when I go to religion and they say, um, you will know later when you've done this or after you've come through this, that, that's again the lie, right? So this is so much bigger than just hiding things from the eyes of individuals now, although when you're hiding, say, the gospel from people behind a paywall, that might be a thing that we shouldn't do, right? Um, all of that swirls around. I don't think, you can, you can debate the copyright law. I don't think you can debate my concept. The free knowledge is good and hidden knowledge is generally right. frowned upon in the Bible. <laughs> you're, you're, so I wanna, you're right. I, so to, I'm gonna scoop in the copyright thing and then I see if I can take a couple steps in your direction. So, because I think what what's happened now, we'll have to see what's happening in, I don't know, in a couple of years maybe, or a couple of decades or maybe a couple of months but the the idea that knowledge um, that that knowledge has value in its in its by being rare that's the basis of copyright law right if we can make knowledge rare then it gives it value hmm. and that is fixing the market man so what has happened I mean the problem now is that we no longer is knowledge rare. I mean, that's what the internet has done. It's democratized information. So you have to capture value in a different way. But, but to, to now to scoop in the Gnostic question, here's the, because, so the irony is that Gnosticism means knowledge, right? Gnosis. G Gnosis. But it's a the hidden, it's a, it's a secret knowledge, which is the, so it's not the it's the, it's always it's the mystery religion, right? It's you got to be you got to be inducted, but you got to come behind the curtain to have this knowledge, and we're not going to let it go out there. It's the there's no torn curtain. It's all it's all in darkness. It's all shrouded. It's all it's all hidden, and that and the, that is the currency that the devil deals in. So so I've been trying to figure this out for a while, and this is another. You've given me another little piece. You remember when the devil is tempting Adam and Eve in the garden? And he said, uh, did God really say you shouldn't eat any of these trees? And Eve's like, what? No, we're supposed to eat all of these trees except for that one right there. And the devil comes along and says, uh, or Eve, in fact, says you shouldn't even touch it or on the, you'll die. And the devil says, you won't surely die. For God knows that on the day that you eat of it, hmm. You will be like him. Yeah, secret now, knowledge. That's a secret knowledge. In other words, the devil, the devil could have just said, "You won't die. On when you eat of it, you'll be like God." But that little phrase, "God knows," that that is added in there to, and that's the key part of the temptation, right? That God has something that He hasn't told you. He's holding back, and what's in that hidden knowledge is what motivates God. In fact. In the hidden knowledge is the, is God's is the motive of God's crime of forbidden forbidding the eating of the fruit. You see, God knows. Yeah. The the so lie is the that there's some knowledge that doesn't exist. Working in that, that. The the lie is that there's some knowledge that doesn't really exist until you know it, <laughs> right? <laughs> you hear what I'm saying? And, and so mm -hmm. you're you're always tempted to to want to peer behind the curtain. Someone asked this question, actually, this may be connect. So let me throw this in there. Uh, how does, uh, Netherius asks, how does Deus Absconditus apply to this, right? Mm -hmm. uh, the hidden mm -hmm. God. So what, do you want to take a stab at that? 
Well, yeah, that's so this is I mean, this is Luther's whole big deal. He starts to develop this in the great Heidelberg theses uh, and then he really pushes it through. And, he, and so one of the ways to understand Luther's whole program was it was against the hidden God. It was against the, it was against the quest to find the hidden God. And that's what he understood scholasticism to be. So you're trying to find God according to his essence. You're trying to find God according to his to his power or according to his glory, rather than according to his word. And and God and God can't be found that way. It's forbidden for us to look for God that way. If God would be found that way, we would be destroyed because God has to cloak himself in in the humanity and humility of Jesus to be a saving God for us. But that quest for the to sneak up and look at God nude, that you know, the Deus nudus. How do you say nude? And there is a there is a phrase. Oh man, but I don't remember it. I got it here in the books. That's right. Books. You were making you were making fun of the books. Yeah. I'm gonna go get one. I'm books. gonna get the book. That Who needs books when you have a wall like a caveman does? That's all I need. That's all I need. So so since you went, I'm just gonna go ahead and point out. What you taught me years ago to see in the beloved Revelation chapter 7 in a distinction between seeing and hearing uh, as John looks upon the uh, uncountable number that he heard only as 144,000 that trying to see God is part of our error as well uh, as opposed to what we were created to do, I think, which was hear God. And in this, I see some marvelous beauty also in who Jesus is, who is the antidote to our fall in so many ways. Um, he, he, is, he is what we didn't ask. No, he is what we tried to take uh, and God gives uh, by joining, right? Um, and, and so it's, it's really a beautiful thing, right? Um, yeah. And he says, eat it. Take and eat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's incredible. Incredible. Uh, Super Chatters continue to jump in. Uh, William Gammon has thrown it in twice uh, in order to get some El Huapo onto the screen. What is the 10 peso version El Huapo? Thank you for the Three Amigos reference point. Singing bushes are always appreciated here. And then uh, Nate Brown had chatted in a little bit earlier. Thank you both for all of your work. Pastors, see, he made clear to to say that it was a, a plural reality. A plural wow. reality. Um, okay, so... We can keep running with this idea because it is it's, it is important. Um, I, but I, I want to see how it's important to like the immediacy of the moment right now. Where um, how do I say this? I see the belief that's assumed by most Christians, and certainly assumed by the politicians about Christianity, that we can just retreat to online conversations with each other, and our religion will just be fine as Gnosticism confessed. Now, Christians can rightfully do this under their lords and masters uh, in love and charity. So it's not, it's not the Christian's problem. Uh, it is the, the non-Christian's problem. Uh, that they are, um, <clears throat> they are forcing us into a more Gnostic practice, which directly will remove from us the center of what we do when we come together. Uh, when we religiousize together right, in the supper, right? And so mm-hmm. this this Gnostic attack of of the hidden knowledge, it, it's saying all Christianity is is knowledge you need to learn. So go learn it on the internet, or maybe an experience mm-hmm. you need to watch. So go watch it on the internet. Uh, what it, it, it is not uh, a physical reality, and 
Christianity's particular exclusion of all other religions is because of the physical reality of the body of Jesus. It is because mm-hmm. it is uh, a scandalously particular, uh, unique, historical, local reality, right? Um, so, so I don't think this is just about copyright, but it is also about copyright. And I, I'm with you too that when when we chain the word as the free information of God, the heralded proclamation, what I whisper to you, shout on the rooftops, if we chain that in any way, even for the sake of, how would you call it, for capturing its value, I got to make a living too, so I get it, right? <clears throat> but but do I make my living capturing the value of the word of God by fixing the market, by uh, creating a stockhold of it so you can't get it, right? So it costs more now. Or do I believe that the word of God is is a bountiful crop that restores itself 100-fold and just cast that bread on the wind, right? Yeah, that's, that's what a, I'm going to do with my work. That's what I'm right. doing with this channel, and it's working, right? So, so I'm not saying this because I don't like what some other organization is doing. I'm saying this because I think it's wise to do it, and I'm trying to do it. So I want to make sure I say that before I get perhaps <clears throat> accused of saying something else that I didn't say. No, no, you- you're, I mean, this is 100% right. It's So there's a materialist view that there's that things are limited, you know, and, and the economics of the, of I, this is a cheesy thing, but God's economics have to do with farming. You know, you're, you're, it's, you're sowing the seed and there's a, there's a multiplication of the seed. I mean, the, the harvest is tenfold or a hundredfold or whatever. It's not a very, it, you don't plant one seed and get one, one tree, you know, you plant a seed and you get a crop. That's the point. But but there there's something else here because so I I'm interested in the other side of things but so if you well let's if you go down your path and then and then I got another path to, to go no, down no no take go I don't I'm I'm just frolicking I, in the chaos of it all I, I did there's two there's a we did a video a couple of weeks ago about um, and I know you're a you watch every video that I publish totally and you watch them twice I have, three or four times I, I have time to to spend my table talk radio points on you do you <laughs> you you watch the videos and you take notes how did he do that how did he make such so what uh, i do what i do is i keep a, a running catalog in my subconscious psyche of all the times a day people from somewhere tell me about how great what brian did online today was <laughs> and i let that be the spark which keeps me in guilty conscience working longer hours than i should everybody <laughs> You should blind copy me on those emails that you send Fisk because I also wife, get my own wife, my own dear beloved wife. <laughs> Meredith is telling you about my so, YouTube videos. So yeah, yeah, she uh, she oh, got something good out of it. Some of my members, I Evan, love that. My, that makes me really. Happy. I am pointing my members to both St. Paul Austin and to Village Ladue. So sometimes my members come back and oh, that Brian, he's really good. I'm like, yeah, he's great. Yeah, I, I'm glad you're listening to him. That's why I pointed you to him. Uh, oh, oh, I forgot. I had something else I was going to say. I forgot it. So you keep going. So a video <laughs> that was the reason why canceling church is the hardest and the easiest for the Lutherans. So there's a reason why it's the hardest because the Lutherans, unlike anybody else, have the body and the blood and you can't do anything else with it except for eat it. So the, you know, the Protestants don't have the body and the blood. So there's nothing lost. I mean, they basically are Gnostics already. Already, Right. They just talk about the, the I mean, which is why we them, don't commune with them. Honestly. We talk about they're talking about the difficulty of the church not meeting together, which is fine, but it's a sociological phenomenon. It's not a 
It's not a certainly not a sacramental. It's a phenomenon. first article of phenomenon. Right, right. It's and difficult then, for humans not to meet together. I mean, right, it's, you're right. acting like some sort of super spiritual condition. There's nothing special about it for Christians. Mm-hmm. And which is why, by the way, the 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 Protestants can have a mega church because they don't have pastors. The pastor is just a conveyor of information, and the Bible is just a conveyor of information. There's no meal. It's like there's no. Anyway, basic instructions before leaving Earth. Yada yada. You got the Catholics on the other side, and you know how the Catholics are. It's amazing to watch the Catholic virtual service, which is the pastor or the bishop or the priest or whatever at his home altar sacrificing the mass, and it's giving you a prayer to pray so you can participate in it from a distance. I mean, they have a Gnostic view of the supper too, that because it's this, it's like a merit. It's it's this it's the it's the old uh, heresy two step. You make it into an abstraction, and then, so you, I mean, the Catholic Church has always been obsessed with the idea of banking. You know, that's that for them, salvation is the is the, you got a treasury, and and you can you can write a check. You know, you can send a, a super chat. So by praying this prayer, they participate in the sacrifice that the priest is making via super chat or whatever, and so it also has this kind of transfer from a distance. Only the Lutherans say. It's the body and blood, and you get the benefit of it by eating it. it it's not instituted for to be a, to be adored at a distance or anything else like this. That's and and that's unique to the Lutheran Church. No other church has that theology of the supper, which makes canceling the service the very most difficult for us. Hmm. But at the same time, the other unique doctrine that the Lutheran Church has is the efficacy of the word. No other church also has the efficacy of the word. And the word of God, the gospel preached, is the gospel at a distance, which means that, hmm. that there is something true that happens when someone listens to a sermon online or when someone reads a devotion that was written by their pastor or some pastor or whatever. There's something true that's happening there, and no, nobody else has that either. And that's not Gnosticism, that the, the idea that the gospel is, that the word of God is the gospel at a distance is a truth that is being realized now by the church. Now, that, that practically has questions, because now we got to ask, you know, I mean, just again, this is real practical, moving kind of too fast from the theological to the practical, but what parts of the church are scalable and what parts are not? Hmm. Because the because the word is in some ways scalable. As soon as Paul as soon as Paul writes a letter, and he says, after you read it, share it with the Thessalonians, and also you should read the letter I wrote to them. As soon as as soon as that happens, what we realize is that is that the word of God is scalable, that that the gospel that Paul's preaching can be transferred over time and space. And to different people, he doesn't. Paul doesn't have to be there for his preaching to be efficacious. And we're the only we're the only ones that have the capacity to understand that. And so, we should be in some ways on the very forefront. We used to be with the Lutheran Hour back in the like nineteen seventeen or whenever they invented the Lutheran Hour. Don't don't get me going. How many? Uh, just so everyone knows what I'm doing now. There's a beer comment. Oh, I'm done. I just drank two waters because I was really thirsty. It's hot in here. And now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drink this one a little more slowly. But cheers, world. Pacifico. I bought this and Instagrammed it. 
<clears throat> with the phrase uh, shelter in place before I sheltered in place. Uh, same 12 pack doing pretty well, doing pretty well. But I love a good uh, Pacifica Clara when I get a chance. That's making Our me thirsty. Afternoon. You know what I've got in the fridge over there? Mm, red red stripe. Ew. <laughs> I mean, I, I got limits, man. Not me, man. I I just well, should I tell you my red stripe story? Um, you may. We're live, right? In, you know we're live and stuff. I know. Well, I was in Fiji. <laughs> Is it like the tequila I'm, story? No, no, I'm just I kidding. Was, I don't know the tequila story. I, I know. I was just. Uh, I was in Fiji. I was 19 years old. Me and Daryl were there. We were the only two guys. We went early, and our job was to buy a bus and a house. <laughs> so we we went to Fiji to buy a bus and a house to manage all these kids that were coming in. They were going to come on. You know, we were working for this adventure travel company. Mm -hmm, and so mm -hmm. all the high school kids come in week after week. So we had a week to buy. A, so we stayed in this hotel in Nandi, Fiji. And, um, uh, and I just remember sitting in the porch of, of this hotel with the first night in Fiji with Daryl and the palm trees are out there and the smell of the city. That's not under any sort of, uh, you know, emissions control so just gasoline and but the palm trees there and the, so you have this kind of wild mixture of smells uh the indian food and we're i'm drinking red stripe and the song on the club next door is this your woman by who played that song so that all is congealed in this wonderful memory I wish I knew the song. It's not that good, but every <laughs> once in a while I play it when I'm doing dishes. And Carrie's uh, like, this is not a good song. I love I, like, <laughs> I love how stuff like that can bring back the memory of a place, you know, the sense and the and the sounds particularly of a so location that's thirsty like that. Now. Yeah. Uh, I got to go get a red uh, We do get a, a super chat that is uh, theological uh, from Jedi Knight Anakin Cringewalker, a super supporter here uh, on Mad Christianity. What? Podcast? No. Um, bonus casting world. He says, Lutherans accept the mystery of Christ's words. Catholics and Calvinists attempt to explain, a.k.a. canosticize, right? Gnosticize. Uh, noeticize. You can see in that, that GN, the can of the English knowledge. It's weird, but that's where it came from. Came from. You can, uh, they try to explain what it is. A true mystery can only diminish in trying to explain it. Very annoying, right? Because uh, a knowledge that is true without me having to know it must diminish for me to know it as i know it it diminishes right uh and so this is the, this is the humiliation of jesus in some amazing way right i i think yes yeah, yeah go, go for it oh there's so much there ah, <laughs> because so the secret knowledge means that if so if i if it's not secret if you have it then i'm i don't it, it uh, how does it, it then it's diminished I mean, the reason I can stay above you or different than you or, or more important to you or have power over you is because I have knowledge that you don't have. You see, so the knowledge has to be rare for that stratification of power to exist. And Gnosticism lives on that. Christianity is the opposite. It's the precise opposite. I mean, as soon as Jesus calls fishermen to be the disciples or shepherds to be a spokesman, you know it's going to be absolutely different. It's all people. It's hmm. it's It goes to everybody. It's not... It, it's just it's going it's going out and there's no special class there's no expert there's no expert class in the church so what do you say to someone who says that the pastor is that though and that missouri synod pastors uh do that 
Do they? I don't know. I mean, why do you need a pastor for? Why don't you just have the Bible and whoever is there that day? Well, you don't need the pastor because he knows more theology than everybody. I mean, the pastor should be apt to teach. So that because because we live in because the church is an economy of words. But the point is, it's every that you have someone who's teaching these things, and if the pastor, you know, if the pastor said, "Look, I know this, and you don't," you know, like. I'm the pastor because I know Greek and hmm. I'm not going to tell you. I'm the pastor because I've got a Bible in my office and I'm not going to let you in. I'm just going to tell you what it says. That is abuse. There's an abusiveness to Gnosticism. So the, the whole point of the pastor is that he's making everybody uh, a theologian. Every Christian is a theologian. Every father is a pastor in his house. Every mother is, hmm. a, is a lady bishop to her kids. I mean, every Christian is a so confessor. Can, to if their I can neighbor. jump in, I, I think it's just so important. I've been pondering this a lot recently. I have not written this down anywhere yet, um, but it's so important that we recognize how how greatly we've lost a a biblical understanding of the office of the holy ministry. And and I think as the Missouri Synod, we have misconstrued it accidentally. So the the word, if we're going to call ourselves pastors, is the word shepherd, right? Uh, it, it is not business manager, and it is not teacher either. It is shepherd. Um, it, shepherd does not mean handholder. It does not mean friend. Uh, it, it means one who watches and guards. And so do you have to be, to get back to your thing, do you have to be the most knowledgeable of the sheep to be the shepherd, right? Is that what happens? So we put the smartest guy there. And the answer is no. In fact, the, the, the habit of the shepherd does not require a great deal of book knowledge at the end of the day. Quite the opposite. What it does require is a great deal of conviction about a very central, even limited number of truths that are that are omnipotent, right? And once once a man knows to confess that and nothing else, the rest of it in a sense, doesn't matter. And this is one of the things about going to Bible study and even the Bible studies that I teach and are like my bread and butter at the LCMS. It's like, you, at a certain point, you make an educated, um, uh, a civilized reading requirement for Christianity, right? And, and, and that's what we got to be able to get away from in understanding the office of the ministry even, is that basic, but not so basic that there's no truth. Because there's another side to this horse, Brian. You know that, right? I started by trying to call out the other side, and now I'm defending you. Uh, the other side of the horse, though, is that there, there is no truth, there is no teaching, there is no knowledge, right? It's all open, kind of democratic spirituality, and everyone loves that idea anyway these days. Well, they, so they, they go together because, look, if I— you, 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 The person who doesn't know what they're talking about is always going to— to try to shut down, to make sure nobody else also knows what they're talking about and be shutting them down that way. So as soon as we have, uh, as soon as we have an econ an open economy of theological knowledge in the church, the pastor better actually be continuing to study and know his stuff. Because when, when the congregation is also studying to be theologians and, and even the, and even the, and even the non-intellectual mm -hmm. Christian is a student. So a disciple is a student. Then, then the pastor is going to have to continue in his, in, in his curiosity and in his training. He can't rest. So as soon as you, as soon as you see a pastor 
who is acting like he has the he's the possessor of the secret knowledge you know that probably he's ignorant and and he wants to keep everybody else ignorant that's the that's the kind of the power play that starts to happen in there we want to press the other way so so that now everybody's a theologian the pastor has to has to keep on his chops because everyone's asking him these crazy hard questions all the time even well, the farmer and the and the kids are asking these great questions I and meditating on I really things. I'm still coming to this conviction that like by hard like <clears throat> I think the category that we put hard in is like knowing who Hezekiah was right like I, I got to know all these like names and dates and the doctrine of the Trinity is really difficult, but I can I can pass it on a quiz if I have to. But I, you know, it's kind of tough. It's, it's like that's what we think of when we, when we say hard. And what's been getting me uh, in the last two months is I've had a existential experience of like, watching a pandemic sweep the world, right? Uh, and and reckoning with where my real, at least, personal weaknesses, the way I see them, are. The thing that's hard is having the conviction to really believe and do it without fear mm. and, and to take a stand on things in, in even like what you might call joy or, or a comf- a comforting confidence. Um, that's what's hard. And that's what the discipline of Christianity is here to train us to be better at and to get good at. So you get stronger, right? It's, and it becomes less hard to do eat what we you later then call easy discipline as a Christian. But none of this is about memorizing diagrams, <laughs> Well, yeah, the right. diagrams aren't bad necessarily, but it's like we've replaced the conviction with the memorization of charts, and, and that's a problem in my book. There's, yeah, there's something important there because it's not just it's a it's what um, that my um, mentor pastor Sinkbile calls the habitus of a pastor. The, the there's a theological habitus. It's not just a matter of like you got a thing that you checked off and now you know all this stuff. I'm gonna Sorry. interrupt you. I'm gonna interrupt you. I'm gonna just it's spelled H A B I T U S, and it's the the word habit is related to this, not the word hobbit, as in Lord of the Rings. So the habitus are not along with the entitus and uh, what. So please continue. Habitus. Like habit, like Did habit, I, right? Just hear the word habit. Habitus. And, yeah. yeah. You you might be pronouncing it correctly. I just want everyone who's listening to have have a connection point. I'll pronounce it better. Habitus. <laughs> habitus. But you want to talk. About- it's just just stuff it's the stuff you know it's the it's the soldier stuff you know i mean you could know all about the tactics but you also gotta just do it you know yeah do it throw the spear so i'm on this uh i want to i want to uh nate brown i'm gonna do a super chat real fast and then push back at you uh Nate Brown says, do how, t- how do you turn on Super Chat? I got to turn Super Chat on in my YouTube channel. I never, you nobody ever gives me money like this. Oh, you're, you make more money than I do every month already, and you know it. You have such an advantage over me. It's hilarious. The, <laughs> the, but in any, in any case, uh, I will leave it to Dr. Google to answer that simple question for you. Um, it'll take you 15 minutes, and I know how annoying that is because I hate doing that too, but I had to learn the hard way, man. You All can, right, you can fine. I'll learn the hard Nate way. Nate Brown asks, do either of you have some books, titles to help, help explain The Office? I'd say the uh, Herman's Lost Lonely Way series, um, both volumes, if you really want to go deep on where my theology has been formed. Also to boost John Marquardt, uh, any comment on the recent Lutheran Hour embrace and promotion of the Bible Project and its sponsors. Well, that's interesting. I didn't know that. So that's two questions. There. I want to take the first one, Brian, again. Uh, books on the Office of the Ministry? The best on this is um, Martin Chemnitz in Caridian. 
which is a great little text. It's like, so Mar it was it Martin Chemnitz wrote the little <clears throat> book about you should know all these things before you're a pastor. And he put it there. And so that's good. I mean, it's, it's just like an outline for the stuff. And he talks a lot about the office in there. It's so important because we are not, we do not think in terms of office. It's part of the mm. American mind, probably. We just don't think in terms of uh, a duty or office or vocation or calling. So it's a problem. So we got, we need to though, because you, you know, there's, well, it's, it, it goes back to this calling to be a pastor. It's like, uh, so is someone a pastor because they have the capacity to be a pastor? No, someone's a pastor because they're called to be a pastor and they ought to strive for their capacity to meet the office. But it's, that's important. On officer real fast, it helped me a little bit just this year to realize we do use the word in English still all the time when we say, don't get pulled over by a police officer. A police officer works for the polis. Polis is the Greek word city. So he's the city officer, the one who officiates the authority of the city. And so we just happen to have in the church a church, an ecclesial, a ministerial, a pastoral officer. And that's what a pastor is. He's authorized to speak the word of God. I still agree with you completely. We don't think in office authority terms. We are an anti-authority culture top to bottom. I'd say our greatest commandment that we despise the most is the fourth commandment for that reason. Pushing back toward habitus, though. So here's the thing that I continue to reckon I, with. Speak of, ahead, my go, go dad ahead. just called me, and I didn't even answer. <gasps> you will not live long in the land, Brian. <laughs> I should Just hold on. Hold on. Yeah, that's right. No, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's not quite what that meant. Um, uh, why is it? Why is yeah, well, it that I, as an LCMS pastor, who loves the Bible, loves Scripture, loves Jesus, have never tried to be a bad pastor? I've always tried to be a good pastor. I've always tried to do all things well. Why is it that when I had the opportunity, because of COVID, to strategically reformat my week and day to, to absolutely prioritize some things I really wanted to, including, and with absolute priority, first thing in the morning, an hour and a half to two hours of prayer and studying the scriptures. Why is it that when I start doing it, I begin to feel guilty as if I should be doing more somewhere else at that time? Why is that my temptation? Why is my temptation that somehow I'm wasting time that I might better spend, and oftentimes it's even doing work for the church is like what's in the back of my head, although I don't know that I verbalized that. And then the battle I've been having, the hard thing, you mentioned this is all out of that hard things earlier. The hard thing has been to say, well, you know what? The most important thing I'm going to do today is not not pray. Now, I'm, I'm going to do this. I'm going to get through this. I'm going to open all these resources I have set up for it. I do the same set of things every single day. It's marvelous. I always enjoy it. Exquisite. It's the most valuable gift of my day, but I can't feel okay doing it. But I'm going to do it anyway, and I'm going to believe that the most important thing I could do today ever is pray. Read a psalm out loud as a habit. Let it be true. Seek to hunger for more, right? Um, and, and, and let it inspire me to think on my life and my congregation. So, so I, that's the discipline I'm like, I'm diving into in this. And, and, and I'm so thankful for the spontaneous uh, uh, what, uh, English God put on the world for a moment here. Um, because that's what I've been finding is a hard thing that I needed time. I need two hours to discipline my body to do this. 
right? To, to pray and think on the words and retain, uh, return to them, um, to memorize them. Uh, and, uh, so, but, but why, why the guilt? That's what I, I still can't figure out. Is it, was it that, uh, my, my Germanic, you know, LCMS Saxon, somewhat inbred heritage, the LCMS shares, uh, is it my American pragmatism and the, the reigning terror of, of the clock? Uh, what's, What's the silly little truth I believe that's a lie that's making me think reading the Psalms a waste of my time? I don't know. I, I don't know how to answer that because, I, I mean, I'm trying to figure that out, too. So here, okay, so two, two things. No, three things. need water after that I'll, one. I'll forget. Uh, what? So one is that I, I, I've heard some of these evangelical guys as they reflect on COVID. And one guy said, this was really interesting. He said, maybe the Lord is is recouping is recouping the rest that we owed him. You know, so it's like the, you know, remember how the Lord, one of the reasons why he exiled the people to, to Babylon was because they never had a Jubilee year. Hmm. And so the Lord says, you owe me 70 Jubilee. Years. You owe me oh, 70 Sabbaths. I didn't know that. That's so cool. Yeah. And that's why the exile was 70. Well, you years. can't do the Jubilee year because the economy fall apart and never get started again. Well, that's it. That's exactly that's the point, I right? Know it is. They never did the Jubilee year because they couldn't stop because they were worried that the Lord wouldn't provide for them. So yeah. you work, work, work. You work through the Jubilee year. You work through the Sabbath years. In fact, it wasn't just a Jubilee. It was a, it was all the Sabbaths here. It was supposed to be every seven years they took time off and they didn't rest. And so the Lord said, I'm going to get my rest. Boom. Oh. And everybody's under Sabbath. So they said, is this the Lord recouping the Sabbath that we owed him? Which is a brilliant thought. I don't know if it's true or not, but it's a good way to think about it. It is a good way to think. I, I love that thought entirely. Let's get other... back to my bit about prayer being the most important thing we do. And it, I, I think we get, what I'm trying to make myself believe is like, like this is the weapon of warfare, Jonathan Fisk. You silly man. You're paid to do this, if nothing else. This, so this goes back to the office of the ministry thing, right? Yeah, what is yeah. the office of the ministry? What should I be doing with my time? Should I be sending email? Does, does, the, does the world need more email? Is that what the church is? If only I sent that one. That's on um, judgment day, right, Brian? Like, I'll be right. waiting to get in. And guys be like, well, you know that one email you could have sent on Friday night at 10, 15? You didn't. Yeah, that's that's right. the problem. Why yeah. didn't you forward those things? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, <but that's>... uh, <laughs> so, so Dr. Sinkbile quotes Eugene Peterson, who quotes Melville. Here's the, okay, so here's the quote. Share, the name, Melville, of that, share the name of that book to answer the question about, uh, you know, books explaining the author, office, uh, The Care of Souls. There we go. Well, this is Sinkbile's book on the Habitus thing. But the other one was the Enchiridion. Yeah, Enchiridion with, oh, so, with Chemitz. We've recommended so, that here before. So the uh, Mel in in the in Moby Dick, there's a whaling thing, right? And so the the like the most important guy on the boat. Th this is according. I, I I can't remember this from Moby Dick, because I read Moby Dick, and I think I got like three quarters into the thing, and then, and I realized I don't, and then, so I didn't get to the good part apparently where they shoot the where they get the whale. The first part was great. Go down the other. <clears throat> Just watch Star Trek Two, man. That does it all for you. That's all you need okay. To know. What was the guy that um, the the, the 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 like the hunter from Africa who the guy that had the great name? Yeah, at the beginning, um, Ishmael, right? Not Ishmael. Ishmael's no? like the guy roommate that Ishmael's with. Oh, I don't know. It's I never, real... I never read it. I just watched Star Trek too. I'm okay. not kidding. <laughs> All right, I'll go watch that. But well, I, like, I, I hear I, I won't watch Star Trek with me. I I, I got the free uh, CBS All Access. Well, it's not you know? the new Star Trek two. It 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 is the old Star Trek two. That's even harder for me. It's to based. Convince. It's based on Moby Dick. They quote 
lines from Ahab at the end. I mean, it's, it's it built into the script. It's good stuff. So, so here's the point is that the sp- guy who throws the spear is not allowed to participate in any of the work. Hmm. So they could be sinking. The boat could be sinking. Everyone's bailing them out and trying to row and, and adjust hmm. the sails and tie the knots and everyone's going crazy. And if you're the spear guy, the spear thrower guy, you don't, you do not work. You are forbidden, strictly forbidden from getting involved in the, and, and the reason the for this is because you have to rise to throw your spear from the point of calmness and rest. Hmm. So that if you're busy, work, if you, yeah, you can't you're, focus when you're busy working on the knots or the sails or anything, when it's time to throw the spear, the most important, the reason yeah. why you're out in the waves to begin with, the reason if you're going to accurately throw the spear, you have to be rested. You're talking about decision fatigue, man. So yep. the, yep, yep. so uh, Eugene Peterson, I think in the contemplative pastor, mm. which I, you know, I always am a little bit embarrassed to mention Eugene Peterson, but he be. makes he he draws this point out in the book is that this is the work of the real work of pastoral care is that you have to be able to you have to be able to throw the dart and hit the target and to do that you you rise to that work from a point of rest now it's just that is for me impossible i mean i shouldn't say impossible but certainly from my own flesh and certainly from like my own specific flesh if i'm on a boat like I want to be the guy rowing the hardest, tying the best knots, and certainly if there's sorry disaster happening, yeah, I want to be there doing yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. But there's something like that that happens in the Book of Acts where they, you know, the deacons are appointed to the waiting of the table. Sometimes so Moses just has to lift his hands in the air, though, too. You know. Well, so, and that, that's the thing, right? So, so who are you? Um, I, I don't know. But to be the guy who is prepared for that moment, everyone is that, right? You could apply that <clears throat> to whoever you are. I want, I want the guy uh, who is doing whatever we would consider the most menial labor in the world uh, to be rested for that labor so that he does it as well as he can. I, I think that's, that's paradise. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so, mm-hmm. so you're right to say that it's your flesh that can't do it. Um, what I've been, again, having the Lord discipline me in particularly is, is that very thing and I'm entering what I can only call an experience of repentance being foisted upon me. Uh, again, uh, COVID being the catalyst for it. It's not that I have more time. My days are just as full as they've been. But I've been able to, again, fill them more with the right things. Uh, and that is something to rejoice on. So I want to push on. You had asked or wanted to talk about um, the things we haven't lost. And I want to get to that first. This Super Chat still hanging here. Uh that is helping out another guy just in the chat room asking about uh, John Mark at Marquardt asks any comment on the recent Lutheran hour embrace and promotion of the Bible project and its sponsors. I don't know about the, the news personally, but I know I have used the Bible project extensively and by and large, like 98% of it. I'm like, this stuff's amazing. So I don't got a problem with that. I don't know about the sponsors at all. Anything. I don't know. I do like the Bible project, their overview of the Bibles. The guys are a little bit, I mean, they'll, they'll give kind of nods to social justice stuff. So you can tell that they're who their audience is. They're, they're shooting for millennials, but I think they're, I mean, the quality of their work is great. I think the first time I saw it, I sent you an email with back when you used to check your emails and, uh, and you're like, Oh man, this is the kind of thing that you had imagined too. It like was. the Bible in 10 minutes yep. and stuff like that. Yep. Yep. They were doing and it. So, 
they're doing it. Mm. And so, so that's great. So, um, I mean, nice if it was a little more sacramental, but I mean, there's just, there are very few of them that I've looked at where I'm like, yeah, I can't rely on anybody watching that. Most of them is like, even, even the heresy that I, I think I found in like the Trinity one, like, I really think there's a heresy in the Trinity one, like no one else would pick up on it or, or confess it ever. Like, it was like, like this little mm -hmm. blip in the thing. So, um, I, I find them pretty amazing. Um, I, I must confess, though, as the comment pointed out, you know, the, the Lutheran Hour, I, I do not follow the LCMS or its politics at this point in my life. So I don't know much about those things anymore. And it's... it's I don't been, know if we can continue this conversation <laughs> now that you've admitted that. I am still in confessional and uh, sacramental union with the LCMS. I just don't follow them, what, uh, social media-wise and politically. Look, look, so, I mean, the point is they're not, they're not Lutheran, the Bible Project guys, so yeah. you have to listen with discernment, but listen, True I mean, just so you have to all, you can never turn off your discernment. It, I mean, just yeah. because something is an yeah. RSO of the Missouri Synod or published by CPH or you, you never can stop discerning. So. Yeah, yeah. that's exactly right. It's, I mean, I, I, say this on my shows as often as it comes up to think about, which is often don't trust me for pity's sake. Mm -hmm. Like I'm, I'm you, I'm here with you. I'm walking with you at times you are following me, but if you put your trust in me, you are going to be severely disappointed, mm -hmm. <laughs> severely disappointed. Uh, you know, <laughs> I can smile and shrug, uh, but uh, I by no means am the solution nor, nor are you Brian. Right. So, this gets us back to the Office of the Ministry stuff and recognizing that what is to be known is already known. There is nothing to be found. There is nothing to be revealed. There, there, is, uh, there is no secret. Um, and this is where, so, so secret knowledge of Gnosticism always loves prophecy and the idea that there can be more prophecy and all this guys. We don't need to chase yes. that now. What I want to come back to after, I'm going to mm -hmm. pit stop and mention that as you mentioned, being on a boat and working the hardest, my family and I are in serial format watching Ben-Hur together. And dear heavens, is that a good movie? It is slow as the day is long, but this script is dynamic. In fact, I'm going to call for a complete overhaul redoing of it in the present age. Totally worth it. Could be done with great new actors. Um, I'm willing to direct it if anybody out there has the funds to make it happen. But that being said, you should go check out Ben-Hur and some other old classics with your family if you're stuck at home and bored. Oh, man, what a great movie. Good book, too, by the way, uh, if you ever I've read it. I started that a couple times. The first 10 pages of Ben-Hur I've probably read five times. Where do you get Just, that? Okay, okay. if you're having trouble with the first 10 pages of Ben-Hur, skip the part about the Magi at the beginning. Just skip the whole prologue with the Magi and go to the beginning of the story, and the story will take off almost right away. The okay. Magi part's completely boring. It's cool once you realize what he's doing. And it's like, oh, he's just like really carefully doing a crash like in literature format. Um, it's like, oh, that's kind of cool. Um, but the real story isn't that at all. Um, uh, so I, I just brought that up because I'd written it down because on it and in that story, you end up with Ben-Hur, Judah Ben-Hur, a prince of uh, Judea uh, in a slave galley, uh, the only unchained slave rowing to their deaths in this big phenomenal moment. So anyhow, be the hardest guy working and whatnot. Um, the idea of... Uh, what we have not lost in COVID, helping us to see what the real things are. Um, I have one more thing before that thought. Yeah, yeah. Which yeah. is my wife and I have a joke 
that I just got to share now. And we'll see how long it takes anybody to figure it out, including yourself. But we've been thinking about making things better at our church with all the COVID that's going on. Just consider this a public service announcement. At our church, we feel that the neighborhoods are living in a little more fear than normal and that people feel um, this, that the world is a little too hard to come by and struggle with and they don't know what to do. And so we want to start a, a group to get together and find what we can do for the neighborhood. And we're thinking we're going to call it the Help All Teach Everybody group. So we're going to have a Help All Teach Everybody group, or H-A-T-E group for short, that's going to be doing work in the neighborhood with uh, throughout the COVID event. So our Christianity and our, and our H-A-T-E group are here for you in Rockford. Okay, uh, let's continue. Uh, <laughs> I hope nobody it. cuts that up and plays it at my uh, court-martial martyrdom judgment, because if they're going to convict me, let it not be for something as silly as that. So Being um, a hater? <laughs> yeah, being a hater. Let it be for the resurrection of Jesus. You have it on your T-shirt. You know, <laughs> the hate group. We need to help everybody teach. Wait, help all teach everybody group. Love it. So I was. This is how I, when Flammy came on at Hope back in the old days, uh, I said, well, that makes me now. Speaking of hate groups, when Flammy uh, came on. That's right. Well, this is... <laughs> This is a, this is a similar acronym joke. I became the, um, what? Well, now I got. Oh, oh yeah, intentional senior lead administrative ministry servant. Oh, there's so much there. What is that? Islam. Islam. <laughs> Jeez, you're gonna get us both killed, Brian. <laughs> Just don't draw a picture. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> oh, man. What have we not lost? The, the conversation and that joke with my wife is because through all of this, I've not lost my wife. My relationship with my family has been strengthened. We take a walk almost every day, which is a brand new thing. And we are praying that we retain it. In fact, my kids have begun publishing a newspaper every week on family events. They send it to their grandparents and whatnot. <clears throat> and one of the chief elements or chief stories of last week's newspaper was about how uh, – some people had missed a couple of walks that week, and the rest of the family were hoping that this would not become normal. And the, the some people was was me. <laughs> so I'm reading about myself in the paper, third person, you know. Uh, so um, the, the, the family, the family dynamics for me has been the, the biggest change outside of say what I would say my prayer life and Bible study. Um, the biggest positive that that I still have. But I know you have a lot you want to say on this, so you know you take it wherever you want to go. No, no, there's. Um you're fine. I think this is, I mean, one of the things that this is helpful for is that we, we say all the time, the family is the building block of the, of the culture and society. And now this is some ways it sort of proves it, you know, you can't, hmm. you cannot make families social hmm. distance from one another. And as it should be, and as it should be. So that closest bond is manifest in this. It's interesting. The idea of the schools being, like of government schooling, I mean, I've heard this. There was a guy from Harvard in the last couple of weeks who actually made this pronouncement that the problem with homeschooling is that they're not able to control the minds of the next generation. And so you're not able to mold society as you want to do and all this kind of nonsense stuff. So the, the idea of a universal school is not just a matter of educating the kids to be able to do two plus two. There are definite political social engineering experiments going on and there's a tug of war. Politics is not the point so much here, but that the idea of having these schools wherein all the children are raised by Big Brother for you mm -hmm. has some challenges with COVID, basically, mm -hmm. right? Although, yeah. what I don't get about this, and this is where sometimes I got a lot of questions about COVID. I don't want to chase all of them today, but like, wait a minute. So, so if, if, if the kids are safe, 
by and large from this thing, technically the schooling isn't a problem at all. We just don't want it bouncing from them back and forth through the neighborhoods, I think, is why we have it now. But they're not under any danger from COVID. But it, but it does bring up the, the reality that viruses are here, that this is just one of what researchers have said for decades we could face regularly as a species for the rest of forever till Jesus gets back. So just because one doesn't hit the kids doesn't mean it, another won't. And so anything where you put everyone in a group in a hole is bad practice in virology, right? I mean, right. Well, the, the other thing that's interesting, so, so to take it from like public school to college, so Hannah's in college, right? And um, uh, she, so, so, and she's home now and ev- all her classes are online. And uh, so, so there was a, the colleges had to make a decision. They had to decide, they had to say either um, the value that we're giving now online is the same as the value that we were giving in person and therefore keep sending us tuition or the value that we're giving online is less than the value we were giving in person. Therefore we're going to give you a tuition break. In other words, they had to make an argument about their value. Mm-hmm. Right? right. Right. And, uh, and they had, and just probably economically, they were forced into either arguing or admitting or lying that online value is just as good as in-person value. Now, I don't know if that's true or not, Here's, but it's here, what's here, let me, presented. Let me say yeah. what I said to two people in my area just last Sunday afternoon, where we do meet for the supper, and so we do have less than 11 people, 10 people, in the building at a time to make that happen. So um, we were talking as we were cleaning up, the last three of us, and um, I asked the question, as one of them is a public school parent and one of them is a local private school parent, how long until you decide that you overseeing the pointing and clicking on the computer for $4,000 a year could be done for free and probably should be since that's what's happening anyway? How long is Jesus coming through the internet learning? And I think if you work at an LCMS school, you need to ask that question right now. I'm not saying that to hurt feelings. I'm saying you got to watch next fall like a hawk because it is going to get tight, I think. Because if it's well, all stuck online... I'm not paying four thousand bucks a month for or a year for for uh, just some online Jesus. I mean, that's my. I don't know how you do it. I was just thinking about this. I mean, what? How? So, with this idea of what is reproducible and what's not. So, so like we have this worldwide Bible study on Tuesday. Everybody who's watching should come to that because it's really good. I've heard good things about it, Brian. Well, thank you. What does Meredith think about it? I I don't know if that's what she listened to or not. She did enjoy the one. Yeah. So. the uh, that's, I gotta ask Carrie if she watches. No, what I look forward to is like when you're when you're like youngest son, like you're gonna be on your deathbed, dying. Your youngest son's gonna come in. He's been like maybe rebellious for a while, and you're gonna be like, son, my only wish is that you would come to Christ again. He's like, you know, Father, I found this thing called Worldview Everlasting. It's these old <laughs> videos with this guy, and you know what? I believe again. So it's because of him. <laughs> so. Wait, now what? Uh, oh, the Tuesday. Oh, oh, yeah. So the Tuesday Bible class. Here's the amazing thing is that I can bring into that class anybody hmm. in the whole world. Yeah. To teach. Yeah. I could grab a guy from the seminary and say, hey, come and teach for a little bit. That's cool. And now we have an online class with the best in the world teaching it. And anybody who wants to can come into Dude, it. Dude, it's like TED now, Talks. It's awesome. How, well, how long until until I say, instead of paying guy down the street to teach my kid physics 
Why don't I find the best physics teacher in the world? And, why and why doesn't the best teach- physics teacher in the world just start offering classes online out of his you know closet? Yes, and then and wait then a the minute. Question is, wait, no, no one should do that except me and Brian. Just <laughs> me and Brian. No one else. So, I mean, uh, but how long until that happens? In, until this, there's a kind of true democracy of education, and then and so and all sorts it's, of other things. It's happening already. But you're asking me. I got to dive into that. It's happening already, mm-hmm, and those mm-hmm. who are going to be the pioneers of knowledge in the next generation, the next century, are are doing it or learning that way. Yeah, but the right. the nobility of higher education is going to float on like the nobility of the English kingdom uh, yes, for a while. Uh, you know, so this is now starting to crumble because you know you have the baby boomers who are kind of preserving these institutions and doing this is how we got here so you if you want to get here you got to get here the same way and then you go down the same path us whatever we are what are we gen x we're probably gen x so the baby boomers say you got to get here this way and so you get that there that way and you say and you get there and they're like well we're still here and you're like well we're here now too and they're like well we're not leaving (laughs) well you told us and then the and then the millennials are like I'm not going to do what those guys did because you get there and you're not. So it's starting to happen. And you're and so the whole kind of career path that is that's kind of sketched out before us is is starting to break down. It's going to be really tough for us. Broken. To think about this in terms of pastoral formation, mm. but well, we're going to have to do it. It and is, it, and it's because now anybody who even brings up the question is obviously a church growth liberal. But but the point of this, the the kind of whole crumbling of the path to to earn your your merit badges to get to where you can then be in the top. That that's this is crumbling. And, and I think this is what I tell my kids. Though that. here's here's what I tell my kids though. Just on this, I think this is so important. If if you think that by following the path that's laid out for you by the educational system, whether paid or otherwise, is the path to being a pioneer and leader in the next era, then you are not a pioneer and leader of the next era because you could already be doing it now. You don't need. Mm-hmm any of it, mm-hmm. to go do whatever it is you think you need to do. If the answer is knowledge, right? if the answer is knowledge, you don't need it. And and w- the issue for the LCMS is not how do we retain the rights to be only authorizers of the secret knowledge, right? Uh, the question is how do we ensure a network of faithful proclaimers of that revealed knowledge mm-hmm. that is going to uh, sustain our, our gatherings around word and sacrament? That's the question. How do we, how do we raise up men competent and disciplined to do that. And with that, I mean, I got to say, I got a lot of good things out of the seminary, but discipline was not one of them. (laughs) (laughs) This is the thing. And so I do think this is one of the differences between Fort Wayne and St. Louis. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's good. Then good. There was the expectation at seminary that you were at chapel every day. Hmm. No, no, we Uh, didn't have that at all. It was part of your formation. In fact, it was understood at Fort Wayne to be the most important part of actually going to the seminary was being in chapel every day. That's awesome. Now, how, so there are things like, for example, if I'm teaching chemistry or physics or biology or whatever, there are things that you cannot teach online. I mean, it's very hard to virtually dissect a frog, although maybe you could do something. But, but how, I mean, how, how hard is it going to be for me to go rent one of these like empty Kmart buildings and just, and to, and to stack it full and, and to like reproduce, like um, who, who invented the light bulb? How come I can't think of that guy's name? Edison. Yeah. So I'm going to, I'm going to go and reproduce Thomas Edison's lab in Kmart and I'm going to rent it by the hour. That's <laughs> so, sweet. So, 
So people who are who are trying to do some sort of remote physics learning or whatever, they're just or they're just going to go back to the. Oh, back I see what and, you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and buy a frog and open up the laptop, <laughs> and I've got the stuff there. And yeah, I think I think you're are, at least twelve years ahead of the curve on that one. But I see what you did, and that's a yes, yes. You see that already happening in office space. There's not enough of this kind of thing. And I think COVID might destroy some of this as well. But it was happening where mobile workers were leasing, you know, five hours a week in like these open office spaces so that when you were out, you could go into this place. You'd have a quiet desk. You could meet with people if you needed to. So that kind of online outsourcing of local realities, um, you know, bringing the new market in – it's that's it, what the internet know, does across the board though and then so so you're but you're seeing it in a specific way right but every but market is it, like that now it's the flip of the you know it's like the classroom flip right so even now the apparently uh, so i'm working on a adult instruction class that Still? someone then told me is just a flipped classroom it's basically i have a workbook and i have a bajillion videos yeah and people just study that at their own pace right and then they meet with me and we talk about prayer and spiritual what, discipline. Fill me and, in on the flip. I, I know the project and I'm still waiting for the videos because I'm just going to pirate them. But yeah. what's the flipped classroom? What does that mean? The, the flipped classroom is that your homework is to go home and watch a lecture. And then when you come back to the classroom, you're working on your homework with the teacher. So the teacher can come and help you do your homework. Do you see the so the flip? Because the lecture is... The lecture is oh, I scalable. See. Right, right, right. It's the reversal but, but, of the of the order. So the teacher comes to you after you've given yourself the lecture, kind of. Yeah, you read the book, and then the teacher helps you to do the, the helps you, right. and, and they can come with that individual they attention. Out of it, helpful it's on the classroom, but apparently that I, that's even what I'm doing. But this is the so. It's well, the so here's the, here's the thing, though, Brian. This gets to what I'm getting at. So if our if our goal is to impart the secret knowledge, then that platform is is sufficient. But can that platform produce the discipline of Christianity? And well, okay. and that's what I think you're saying, and we're saying no to begin with because of the Lord's Supper. But maybe it's more than even just that. Yeah, I'm almost there because because my little like lab idea, my Thomas Edison in a Kmart lab. I, I saw a picture of Thomas Edison's lab, and I thought if I walked into that, I would want to be a scientist. Yeah, right. You know, exactly. I mean, it's just awesome. Like everything. So you just walk in, and there's all this awesome science stuff, and I'm. And I swipe my card and I'm, I'm anyway. So it's a flipped library. It's, you see a library. What, why was a library important? Because not everybody could get to the books. Not everybody could get right. to the knowledge. So right. you've got to pile it in one spot and you got to give people access to it. So the public library becomes an absolute treasure a hundred yes. years ago. Still is if today. A, Still is today. By the way, if you have a library, you have, you have hope. Yes. You know? I mean, basically, anybody could go to the library and you could learn anything. That's the idea. But that's now it's even expanded and it's online and more and more and more online. I mean, there's I every now and again, I look for something online and I can't find it. And I got to go to the library. Like, do you have Camus book, The Plague? Me? Yeah. No. Camus. You know the guy Camus? No. Albert Camus. He was probably French. Anyhow, he wrote a book called The Plague, and apparently it's prophetic. We got to, we huh. should read it. But it's out of print, so you can't get it. But you're, you, you specialize in reprinting out of print stuff. It's not in the public domain yet. That's the problem. Oh. It's not online. It was written in like 1940. Mm. Anyhow, anyhow, the point is that the library is flipped. So the, the books are online, the knowledge yeah, yeah, yeah. is online. So I still you, think it gets that though, but so get to the discipline part. So how does it's, it's more than just knowledge? Yeah, right. 
So right. where? Well, okay. So so now what? So if you bring this to the church, and this is where you've been pressing me, so let's just press there. Is that what is it about the coming together of the Christians that is essential? So what is scalable and what is not? What can be? What can actually be accomplished at a distance and what cannot? And so, so much of what the service is now, it's like, all right, everybody come together and sit down and listen to me tell you something. Now, preaching is of the essence of Christian worship. But we've redefined so, that word. We've, yes, we've yes. so made that word up in some ways. Yes, yes. So we have now, though, something really... So, so what we have now, the expectation of Sunday morning, is very different than... This is an occasion to rethink this. We have to come together for the body and the blood. We have to come together to, to care for one another. So we're, we're speaking and we're listening. We're hearing and so forth. And we're blessing one another. Uh, we have to come to, together to be shaped by these things. So the liturgy is a huge is a huge important part of this sort of thing. But the liturgy but, has, has in so many ways ceased to shape us. Um, or we've decided to discard it and it's shaping and, and maybe some of both. Um, <clears throat> I don't know. Was, this wasn't the book you recommended. Read the white plague by Frank Herbert. Very interesting. Mm -hmm. Was that, was that it? No, this is, no. is this Frank Herbert of Dune? D D says this Frank Herbert who wrote Dune, which is uh, an awesome one part Serious? <laughs> um, if, if, if let the reader understand. Um, shoot, now I forgot the other thing you made me think of. Albert uh, Camus. Oh, oh, what if um, it was just... Uh, you said we need to get together for the, the bread and wine, and we get together... The liturgy. It, you for liturgy, liturgy, we get together to care for each other, though. You say we get together to care for each other. And I just got to immediately... Like, what if caring for each other... We think that means like saying hi. And it is. But caring for each other is eating the bread and wine together. It's the willingness to eat the bread and wine together, to come together and eat the bread and wine together. I think we underestimate the fear of disease in the ancient world and to think that they just didn't know they're always so dumb or something, right? They, they knew that you didn't go where sickness was and, and that sickness would be passed between people. They didn't think it just fell out of the sky all the time. You know, I mean, maybe back in the days of the Iliad, you know, I'm reading, I'm reading the Iliad um, slowly. Uh, so what if the real care is the shedding of the fear of the meal and coming together and making sure everyone can get there. And then everything else that gets built around that is and should be what forms us. And the pastor's job is to, is again, to oversee the delivery of that. And then first Corinthians, you get this, right? You get that pre or that proto liturgy where Paul saying, we'll bring some of this and bring some of that. Um, and I, what I, what I am bothered by is we have, we've sterilized the liturgy. We really have. It's great. I love it. It's amazing. If you've been educated to sing it, but it doesn't do its own work. Not at all. Uh, I've been, you know, we publish the services online. Let me say, let me say if, I, if you bring your kids every week, I, I, should, I should back off. You bring your kids every week and you teach them and you do it with them, it will do its work. I should say that. But if we're talking about reaching the pagan or con convincing the lifelonger or things like that, it's just, it just doesn't do it. Um, but I, I, don't wanna, I don't want anyone to say, my children love the liturgies because we sing it. But that's because we practice it, right? We do it. It's not the thing if it's not done. Right? It's not an idea that just sits out there that we have. There is a, um, there is a habitus. I've been putting the service online, and what I've 
so there's been a couple of times where there's the liturgy we're doing matins and so i put the words on the screen and everything and uh there's been a couple of times where the words of the liturgy are on the screen and i go and i take the period and i erase it and i put in an exclamation point <laughs> and i look at it and i think yeah alleluia alleluia yeah. that needs an exclamation point yeah then I go and I delete it because it doesn't have it in the liturgy. It just has a period in the liturgy. I'm just wrestling with that whole thing. But there's a way that the liturgy... Does German even have exclamation points? <laughs> I'm not even sure it does. Like, it's such it's a, a new really thing. It's a dark period. No, I'm, I'm not sure they even have it. Punctuation is <laughs> so modern. Punctuation is so post-type. It, it is completely a modern phenomenon. So I, I, I'm just not... Struggling with putting an exclamation point in the liturgy. Just know that every 1960s guy with a guitar put lots of alleluia's with exclamation points in his private liturgies he made every week. Just, I mean, well, they, they all did but that. It's, but it's this <laughs> idea of um, this kind of boom, 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 this this conversation, you know? It's this the idea. Okay, boom, let me get this. Boom, the idea boom, is this. The idea is that we have memorized a performance, a drama, an actual event that we reenact week in, week out, and we should have the thing completely memorized and dialogue it back and forth as if we were on stage for the world because frankly we are and instead what we're doing is we're reading out of a book some words we don't understand or care much about because we're bored because we're not hungry well that gets back to it it does and, and i'm gonna i'm gonna pull a comment from the side in this um uh where somebody said where is it oh come on come on come on here it is people will have more appreciation for the liturgy after they come back that's there true. is a hunger if you, I think people that aren't hungry aren't, aren't going to come back. So I think we will be smaller on the other side of this. But this is a moment right now where if you have that faintly glimmering wick within you, God is flushing it fired right now. I asked the Wednesday Whatnotters, by the way, if you're not subscribed to Wednesday Whatnot at wolfmuller.co, you can subscribe. <laughs> they, but I said, hey, what? I did a little survey. What, what is Jesus teaching us through COVID? I got about, a, about 200 answers so far. And the word that comes up most often is appreciation. Huh? Amen to that. Appreciation, yeah. Yeah, which gratitude. is just a precise. Now, how about this for, uh, I'm just having a dream about what church should be like in before, St. Paul. Before you go that direction, Nolan Madsen says German does have an exclamation point, but it is not used often. So they certainly wouldn't have put it in the liturgy. It would have been, right. it would have been rare, like a semicolon. Hallelujah. That's just as bad uh, as, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Brothers and sisters, we come near in the truth. We don't, just, you just like read it like it's like you're Perform it, man. It's drama. The guys who want to have drama in the in like the chancel, chancel drama, like they're the most complete backwards people of all. You've fully realized you don't have a play that you're doing, and you've so forgotten the performance that's going on around our receiving the real thing of word and sacrament. So that's not a performance, right? That moment God is enacting us, but we're performing as we come there to, to confess to each other as we get there. And you are so ignorant of that that you think you have to write a play so we can have drama. In the liturgy. <laughs> it's like going to a movie and like watching like, I don't know, your own private flip book animation on your on your book that you did because you didn't realize there was something going on. Sorry. That's a pet. No, it's okay. Mind. I am against, though, the idea of liturgy as performance. So you probably oh, have to change my mind just, about You just that. have to dis just disintegrate your... Your zeitgeisted emotional hate of the word performance because it's not just about it's just I have the same problem with the word fan. I hate the word fan, but you, frankly, that's what we have to call the people who like us on the internet. They're our fans, and so what are we doing right now, Brian? You and I are performing. So it, 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 it does, performance does not mean vanity. If if someone 
performs, your organist performs every single week and you hope, hope well, you, you know, so the word's got a lot more to it than some sort of just kind of vain reality. What I, what I guess I'm saying is that we have a song we're going to sing together, but the song is an opera. It is a story. It is complete. It is a, 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 a concept album. And yeah, how do you expect different. the musicians to jam on the concept album? And the musicians are our voices, both word and song, if we don't know how to play music. And that doesn't mean actually knowing how to play music. Okay, so here's an example. Here's what I'm against. Gosh. I saw one time uh, the acolyte of, at church, so they couldn't get one of the candles lit. Your dream that you're going to share is what I'm talking about I want, though, by the way. We're on the same page. So you, how do you know my dream? You shared it to me you? like a text message or something. No, no. And then you, and you sent me a link to something that you never sent me the link to it either. So whatever that was, I never saw it. Just, so you know, but oh, you can you talk. Didn't? No, you just, oh, you, it you, would blow you're like, your mind. You're like, look at this link. And I'm like, there's no link. And I'm tired. It's like 10 o'clock. I'm going to bed. Well, so, I, I send you something and I get the email back. It says I used to have email back in the 21st century, I that off. but I don't anymore. I turn that off. Shh, don't tell anybody though. I finally so, got, it, uh, I got it under control yeah. finally. <laughs> what is your email? Rev yeah. Fisk at what? Mm. <laughs> now, the thing, oh, yes. Oh, the, so the acolyte, the candle wouldn't light. So at the end of the service, they were putting out the candles. There's like five candles, imagine. This one's not lit. So what do they do? They, they snuff out this one, and then they pretend to snuff out this one, and then they snuff out this one, snuff out this huh. one, snuff out. And I was like, why did you do that? Like there was nothing lit. Like, why did you, when you're, when you're putting out the candles, you're not pretend, you're not right. Pretension. You're putting out the candles so that there's, so that there's a reality to the, to the supper. Yes. Nagel, just, I mean, just like Nagel there's a reality this. to this conversation, like you, you and I certainly aren't following a script and you certainly aren't like, okay, now it's time to be pastor Fisk online, which is. <laughs> You, no, I mean, no, but we, but but like an athlete, we perform our skill with which we have been trained. But yeah? you, you though are, and you're good at this because you do not write your sermons or practice your sermons or even know what you're going to say when you go to church. No one knows that, but you, Brian, it's out of me to the world. <laughs> so, I, so, I have looked at the text usually. So can you? So imagine, you know, how we were trained to preach was you write your sermon and then you memorize your I'm sermon. I'm going to get brought up on charges now. Some guy and, during COVID is going to bring me up on charges. Oh, for pity's sake. And then and then they recite the sermon that they memorized. Yeah. It's like yeah. writing a play and then yeah. directing it. It's and delivering then, a thesis argument in, the, in a, in a not, scholastic the, tower. That is not how we're supposed to. No. I mean, there's something immediate. So this is what I'm against. I'm against this idea you, that you are distancing yourself from the thing that's happening. No, no, no. There's an immediacy to the activity Dude. of the divine service. Okay, I, I'm going to interrupt you again here then. because So preaching to groups of less than nine, which is what I've been doing every 12 yes, minutes. Yes, okay? yes. I'm giving the same quote-unquote sermon without it being written more than a couple thoughts around the text as notes. And the text is my outline because the text is always my outline. I preach the text. I'm not kidding. Um, uh, as I've done this, the sermon has changed, but it's not like you, you, early service, late service. The service, the sermon kind of changes. There's a little bit of a dynamic sometimes with the services, so you have a different feel. But but by and large, they're kind of the same thing, and they're not that big of changes. These sermons are changing all over the map, and it's because of who I'm looking at in the seven people standing in front of me. So they're all getting like tailored sermons. They're getting like good pastoral care, like private confession kind of stuff. Right. And it's, it's not like I'm exposing anything. Right. But, but like they're getting 
a very near experience of, hey, I'm your pastor, here we are, and I'm treating you like you're you and not like you're a crowd of people watching me on TV, right? And um, that, uh, that, that, that ability, I don't know how you get that back without small group uh, that you're talking with, right? Um, but, but what you're getting at here is that idea um, that somehow the, the proximity of the preacher to the hearer does impact the reality. That, that, and this is where closed communion is also tied into this too, right? It's, it's the personal knowledge of the communicant and the relationship to the overseer of their soul, not as a tyrant, but as a brother who walks with them to Zion. Uh, that reality um, is kind of, well, it's everything. That's what we've been talking about. And I interrupted you, and then I tangented twice. So, do you remember where you were? My dream for Sunday morning? Yeah, that's a good place to go. Good, good, good. It's awesome. There's a there's a coffee and donuts there at like 7.45, and everyone comes and is drinking coffee and eating, and they're all mulling around the trees and everything outside, and you ring the bell, and they're like, ah, time to go inside. So they come inside. Oh, here's, by the way, the, my delivery's coming. That's exciting. I'm going to interrupt you. You know who does this, what you're talking about? Who? who? Africans. Yeah. Oh, and, and the thing that's going to happen next happens at Africa, yeah. because then... So then you come together for church, hour and a half or whatever, and then it's They'll over. They'll go three, and, and then so you the preacher have, can preach uh, an hour and a half. I, I'm serious. So I'm not. <laughs> I'm, He's dreaming I'm now. He's like, oh, I want it. I want it. We'll get there. So then, but then you have time, and you mull around, and you visit with each other. You talk to each other. You talk to visitors. You go over to the fellowship hall. You have an hour long Bible class. And then there's someone, you know how the ushers are appointed. This person's going to be the usher. This is a, someone is appointed to start the barbecue every yes, Sunday. Right. Yeah, and you got the big, huge barrel. I should have been smoking size. since the night before, Brian. Should have been smoking since the night before. No, the barbecue, because everyone has their own meat that oh, they're bringing that. with them. True that, true that, true that. And, and you have your beer garden picnic tables there. And at 1145, Bible class is over. And everyone walks out to their car and gets their coolers and yeah, brings out their- the picnic. And every Sunday, that's picnic. right, that's right. And the barbecue's there, it. and the kids are playing, and it. it's just and you're and the you Africans just to, do it, and you're not. They call it a thing in Africa. It's not always barbecue though, but it's effectively that. It's a potluck of sorts. Um, how does COVID impact all of this? I don't know. Yeah, well, yeah, this blah, is. Blah, blah, I mean, blah. You, it's, it's the thing. I mean, this is how COVID affects it. Is that we say now, hey, are we going to see each other again ever? <laughs> is it so you're it's eventually like, you're talking post Swedish model uh, you know uh, herd immunity we're all just living with it coming back every year and it's like the flu kills so many every year and COVID kills so many every year and most of them are in the same age demographic but every year a couple younger people also get taken under and that's just like the flu so it's just like one more flu yuck welcome to out of Eden right uh, but then you come back and you you that's the question how do we retain the things we've discovered that we really don't want to that's right. Lose again, or we're losing, or we're in the process of losing. And I, I'm just going to emphasize a knowledge of time being connected to the sun, uh, which has been very valuable to me, a knowledge of my family as that people in my life. That has not happened to me, by the way. It's been oh. the opposite. We're like on Spain schedule. It's like 9.30 at night, and we're having dinner. and uh, We do late <laughs> dinners, too. You just can't do anything after dinner then. Or you get a little sleep. But in any case, just an awareness of the sun. It's not about even uh, going to bed and getting up. For us, it's about the, the walk, when we're eating together. Like, when are those schedules coming together um, for lunchtime and things like that? When do we pass? Because now we're all still kind of living. I'm still working, right, in my home. And so I'm, I'm passing my kids more when, than when I was when I was out being mobile and all that. 
Um, but how do we retain, you know, how do we retain just the desire to not get overwhelmed by the flood of information and speed that we were all on without really Mm -hmm. agreeing to be on that train? Like Mm -hmm. I saw an Apple II GS when I was eight and now I'm 42. I'm like, wait a minute. That was quick and it changed a lot. (laughs) I'm not sure I want to be on that train anymore. Yes. I, this is really no, that's a, a great point. I mean, the pace of things and to, and to recognize the joy of being as family and being home and that's really, really good. And if there's things that I, I and there and but so this, I mean, the, the revolution of technology, I don't I, I, there's something there. I mean, there's something about the fact that we can have a Zoom Bible study. I mean, 10 years ago, I, I, how does the plague happen? How does Corona happen? Can you, can you, can you continue? Uh, can you continue talking with that question while I go to the bathroom on my own yes. show? That's awesome. Do it. <laughs> I got, don't, well, what if I don't like sell my house or anything? <laughs> Any super chats that come in while he's gone, you know, go to the, around the word fund. I think that's the way that that goes. But this question of like, so the, th- the things that can be amplified through technology because what does the what does the crisis look like 30 years ago or or 20 years ago even when you can't have a zoom bible class or when you can't have a when you can't have an online service when there's no youtube when to publish something i mean to to put you know like saint paul used to put the services on tv and you've got to have a whole crew running the cameras and the lights and everything else like this. And it's some, it's the, so the, 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 the barrier to these, to entering into mass media publishing has, has gone down so low that the opportunities that the church has are just simply multitude. And we ought to be thankful for that. I'm glad Jonathan wasn't here to hear me say that, by the way, because I don't think that he agrees with me on that. How do I know what you guys are saying now? I can't. Can I read the chat? Is this a thing? Welcome back. What's it like to broadcast MIA? That that's a thing. My family's I, going. I'm missing my walk today. My family's going for their walk today. Right now. That's just happened. Right, right now. Right now. They're all leaving right now. It's all right. They knew. They knew. That, they can. Be, they can listen to Table Talk Radio on streaming on their walk, and they'll be they, Table Talk Radio. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I said any super chats that come in while you're gone, we're supposed to go to around good, the word. But go to you guys. Uh, nothing, what, were you talking, what were you talking about? I got skunked. I talked about how if this happens 30 years ago and the barrier to online publications, I mean, just doesn't even exist. These hmm. platforms and tools don't exist. It's a different world. I mean, what does it look like? I mean, yeah. how is a pastor preaching to his whole congregation in the 80s? They wouldn't shut down nationally this way. Because it wouldn't move this fast because nobody was traveling that much. Wow, that's part of the... Th- isn't that interesting? So so technology is a big part of the problem. Technology is something even, of the solution. We wouldn't even know yet 100 years ago, I think. I mean, you might get a New York story about people dying in New York, but like, we'd be like, what is it? You know, there's just nothing. And, and then it'd be just like, well, is it, is it Spanish fever? Is it just like... They, they would treat it like it was, which means maybe you shut down a community, but you're never going to shut down... So like this, this happened though, and if so, in eighteen nineteen, I got all the old church records. They shut down church for one month in, in nineteen eighteen. But it was just in, locally, right? 
Yeah, well, St. Louis shut down also. I mean, there's different but cities. It, it wasn't, national, Austin it wasn't national. It wasn't no. national. That's my point. So, so St. Paul shut down. But I wonder what is what does the pastor do? I mean, how make some phone you calls? Just if you got one. Yeah, write some letters. I'd be writing letters back then. I have a little bit here. I wish I would do more, but uh, letters, man. But how amazing is it that I mean, I sit here and have a Zoom Bible class. It's incredible. For our church. It's a and catalyst. People are like, and they like it even more because we share the screen, so they don't have to look at me. It's <laughs> awesome. I should come. When's your next one? Sunday. Oh, Tuesday. Oh, so we have the Sunday morning just for church, oh. but we have Tuesday morning worldwide Bible class. That's yeah. Tuesday at 10 a.m. Tuesday at 10 a.m. Where do I go? Wolfmuller.co slash Bible, and you'll find the links to click on. I, I will try to tune in. I'll watch. <laughs> I'll call on you. Nah, I'm just going to watch. <laughs> I'm going to come through like some fake account. It's like like a bunch of weird, you know, something geek speak and like a, a one-eyed cyclops or something, you know, mm-hmm. picture. Um, You were talking about technology. And... I can't read that. No. Somebody might be able to on YouTube, but you probably can't. Um, zoom, zoom camera. Like my camera does not go over zoom as good as it could. So zoom doesn't really give you the full, I pay for my zoom. So it doesn't give you the full, the full HD. It says the old gods are the new question mark. And uh, this is one of my just kind of ponder thoughts. And it, it goes with another one here, um, which is more on my, my creative imagination of reality section. So don't, don't, don't hold me accountable for this one, but you know, to conceive of the, the reality I inhabit as the dystopia in which there's a matrix-like battle between Baal and Christ reaching across ages. Okay, well, whatever. Old gods are the new. As I imagine my life as a battle against false gods behind false religions, and that these are, <clears throat> in fact, the powers and principalities of the present darkness, though they be named or unnamed. Um, what I've been wondering is, like, were the ancient people as dumb as we think they are, and they worshipped a bunch of statues, because that was just kind of the thing, I guess. Or did they not really think about their gods so much as gods as the thing? Like Apollo. Is Apollo like the god of the sun? Or is he like the sweet up sun right there? That's Apollo. When Apollo comes out, you know, he can be good to you. He can be bad to you, right? Um, and, and so he's got no mercy. There's no mercy from Apollo, right? And so, but they didn't say like, when they would hear it, they weren't talking about somebody's name. They were talking about the sun. They, they meant it. And they did that with all the gods. And now here we are, and we think that just because we don't talk about them like they're gods, that they're not our gods. That, that we don't worship technology. And that we don't worship mammon. Okay, but, but these guys had names in, in ancient realities. At the very least, to recognize that the source of all false teaching is Baal, who's just another version of Zeus. Every Odin, every religion has the same guy, you know, and, and he's, he's assaulting Christ. Uh, so the old gods are the new. This is a phrase from, uh, by the way, it's from um, Game of Thrones. And in Game of Thrones, you have, you have the people who worship the old gods, and they're, they're rare. But then you have the new gods who everyone's kind of into, and they got the big cathedrals and all the neat newfangled stuff. But the thing is, the old gods are real. And they just been asleep for a while and then they come back and it's kind of the story, right? But for me, mm. it's like, okay, so if we're going to talk about the battle against principalities of present darkness, who are we fighting here? 
Am I fighting uh, Richard Dawkins' arguments against the existence of a deity? Or am I fighting you know, this, this dream that we call science? And who is that really? If I go back and I look at the Greek stories about this god, can I see all the same stuff? Because when I go look at Hephaestus and Wayland the Smith in the old mythologies talking about technology in the smithy and how they have no love life and they're hobbled in their leg because all they do is work all day, I got to wonder if we aren't worshiping Hephaestus as a civilization and we just call him big tech. I don't know. As, as the, <laughs> I lost as my Christi- mind, I think. <laughs> no, no. As Christianity recedes, I, I think, so I think the borders of Christendom. So let me see how this argument goes. You'll, you, you, I think will like this. So as the borders of Christendom expanded, it expanded from Jerusalem and so, it took over first the it took over first the sad uh, uh, the the um, oh for heaven's sakes uh, the uh, Samaritans first the Samaritans, and then the Asians. Ephesus is next, which is magic, and then Athens is next, which is wisdom. Hmm. Corinth is next, which is loose sexuality. Rome is next, which is power. Then it goes into the into Europe, which is the. Uh, all the kind of Celtic pagan magic stuff. So, so you have this, so as Christendom kind of expands. It, it takes over these things as Christendom recedes. You got to think of the tide going down. I think those things are exposed in the precise opposite order. So hmm. you start to see a rise in, in this sort of scientific magic. And then you start to see the rise of power. Then you start to see the rise of whatever. So that, so the 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 old gods start to come back, in in, in like an opposite order, and they they were never gone. But but well, you're right okay. that we I, maybe I can, admit- we can maybe see them better for what they are. And I think I think coming back where we're building statues to them might indeed be a thing that happens eventually here. When we they're going to have different names, I think. But uh, but, but remember this just, too, though. So that always Christianity was accused of being the new religion. Yeah, it's true. So the True. Romans would always say to the martyrs, why are you worshiping this new God, Jesus, instead of the old God, you know, Zeus or whatever? So the accusation, and this is amazing for us to think about, is always the accusation. So, so in the ancient world, to be ancient was to, be, was to have some sort of credibility, hmm. and to be new was not. And for us, it's flipped. The other way around. If well, and that's what the new, question is, is, is a big deal. So part of why I'm wrestling with this is because of my, my fiction work I'm working on, which has a spiritual component to it. Don't, don't let that make you think it'll sit on a Christian bookstore shelf ever, because it, it, it won't. Uh, in that, wrestling with the the impact of powers of principalities on our created order and trying to think about the various genres of science fiction that have existed for for dealing with um, powers and principalities. The only one that exists really outside of like pure fantasy where you just have your own pantheons of stuff is something called, um, oh, no, I lost it now. Sorry, sorry. Uh, what is it? Something horror. Oh, I lost it. Tachulu all comes out of this. It's about, um, oh, for pity's sakes, something horror. Someone will look in the comments will share with it. The idea is that the main character in this style of, of, um, of story becomes aware of an ancient old power that's running everything and destroying everything, and he tries to stop it and can't. And it's always kind of the same format. But what happens is, initially, it's just sort of a conspiracy theory in, about this potential problem that he eventually realizes is an old god who's really there. 
And so my question for my story is like, well, what if we found out that there was an old God that's really there and it's Yahweh? <laughs> you know, what if that happened in, in a thousand years, mm-hmm. right? In, in some science fiction world, post, post-Civil War. That's, that's the story thought a little bit. But the mm-hmm. old gods are the new now, though. You've, you've gone with this, though, in the direction of we think we've left behind the gods because we gave them new names. Or this is my thing. We think we left them behind because we gave them new names. And we didn't even really give them new names. The whole religious studies phenomenon of trying to say that all the world religions are the same, I think is completely true, except we just don't understand Christianity was first and everything's a bad reflection of it that gets twisted wherever it goes. But you have the same pantheons everywhere, and it's not accidental. It's because it's built into creation, and then creation Mm -hmm. fell, and these demons are tied to that fall, and they keep trying to replicate their order as ones who would take over the world and get us to follow them. Yeah. Sorry, I've gone on a long while now. This no, is, that's right. Uh, it's the worship of the demons. I mean, this is Paul says that if you worship the idols, that you're worshiping the demons. Nah. So the demons are there building their own temples. And what what and that's real. I mean, like not like the demons, but like there's a demon who probably has a name who's busy building a temple, you know, in Silicon Valley and wherever and here and in and next to your church and next to See, mine, I, I mean, there's an actual real I read a book. I read a book a long time ago called This Present Darkness, which did something like that that I didn't like and I think is wrong still to this day. But I also don't disagree with you at all. At the very least, what I'm saying is that they're named and we can understand what spirit is working and use the ancient stories to pin the tail on them. And right now, the spirit that really is running stuff <clears throat> is uh, Zeus has chained uh, the power of Kronos, time. He chained him. Remember, he put him, he put him behind bars and took over. Zeus is Baal. You got to hear that as the same thing. Baal, the Lord of the sky. You can't actually say what he is because he's everything. And everything, he kind of makes everything happen, but then he's always got problems with it. Nobody's really obedient to him either. Uh, so so you, have, you have that spread going on. But then underneath Zeus, freed from the titanic rage of, of Kronos, is this guy Hephaestus, or in, in the Norse, Wayland the Smith, which I think is, sounds way cooler. There's actually really cool old names for him, too, like Umak, like out of Ugaritic and stuff. But he, he basically is the god of technology. If you consider you know, what was technology in the ancient world, it was the smith. That's what the smith was. He was the technologist, the mechanist, right, however you want to say it. Um, and that is indeed who our, our chief temple's are two at the end of the day that is in in that we trust medicine would be a second a close second i think um but to see them as who they are and then see the old stories old stories point out how these gods are all fickle and do all this weird stuff well they're describing what worshiping them is like they're describing the life we experience and if you go look at that i'm stunned by it it's ancient wisdom for fighting the war and making it real in your head too if you stand on mars hill where paul stood to preach you go up this way and there's the temple of athena and nike and the lightning bolt and everything else like that. That's there. And then if you go precisely the opposite way down and you look down the hill, there's the temple of Hephaestus, which is, it's just like the Parthenon. I mean, precisely like the Parthenon, just on a smaller scale. Hmm. And it's what's there now. Yeah. I mean, the, the whole temple of Hephaestus it's still there. Is, is preserved. <laughs> and so you can walk oh, around. It. So you're I, making I my was, paranoid reality come true, Brian. So I was, <laughs> I was, I remember walking around awesome. this temple oh. with War, Warren Graff and I were there 2012 or something. And, um, or 13. And I, and I asked him, I said, what would be, if you're just visiting in the year 20 BC, Athens and Jerusalem and you're just wandering around the Mediterranean and you come here to Athens and you see the temple to Hephaestus and there's the priests and they're offering the sacrifice 
And then you go to Jerusalem and there's the temple to the Lord and you're watching the offer, offer the sacrifice. What's the difference? And Warren was great. He said that the God in Jerusalem is holy. Hmm. These gods are scoundrels, you know, but, but I, but there's a lot there, but, but the, ten, hmm. the, the altar is, I mean, it's there. You can visit it now. This, well, and the God in Jerusalem's not in Jerusalem. He is Jerusalem now. And he comes to you. Yeah. As the land, Adam reborn, new creation, eighth day, all that good stuff. If you'd gone to Athens in that, those ancient days, I don't think the temple to Asbestos would have been the most stunning one he would have seen. And if it truly is like the most preserved, as, as you say, um, that is just phenomenal in my little RPG created world that I live in. Cause I love, you know, I love symbolism. The story has to tie a knot. And, and so of course he's still there. Right. Uh, because that's in fact who we worship. Um, do you know why the, the <laughs> Parthenon isn't there is because whenever like Solomon the 52nd or whatever was fighting some war, some Ottoman empire thing, they stored all their munitions in the Parthenon. Oops. Yeah, that's a Turkish wisdom for you right there, you know. Hey, I got an idea. Let's let's make a war machine and fill it with hydrogen and float it in the air. What do you say? <laughs> well, as you, you know, you're like, okay, here we are. We're a bunch of Turks. So what are we going to do? Where are we going to hide the bombs? Well, that Parthenon, that's a good spot. That's right. Jackie chimed in and pointed out is cosmic horror. I was looking for this right. So uh, just for all of you who might care, just, uh, <clears throat> Dust is a... A sci-fi fantasy western cosmic horror horror dystopia with zombies. So, oh, steampunk too. Uh, all that. So, not that Brian cares about elves. That's what your book is. All. I you you, I, you lost me at horror. Yeah. Well, you probably lost me at cosmic. You might have lost me at book. That you, I. <laughs> that shit's at first ten pages. First ten pages. Yeah, you better hook <clears throat> me fast. So you might like this. Your bit, the bit about the um, me being excited about the Temple of Hephaestus in the Athens. <clears throat> excuse me, um, is tied to this other idea that I keep playing with, which is like, I have I have a video game I really like. It's called Fallout Four, and what I like about it is, uh -uh. is, is, is you, can, you can. I'm not going to tell I you much. I don't believe you. What I like about it is that you can make it mimic reality. So like your character gets hungry, he has to eat, right? So the whole idea is that you're playing this kind of reality survival game that is a little bit scary. So you get a jolt of adrenaline when you have to like fight stuff and survive. But what I realized is that being a Christian means that you believe that life is in fact a complete virtual reality survival life simulator in which um, you can't die or what you die once, and then you wake up in one in which you can't die ever. And that's a pretty cool way to look at life. It's a giant role-playing game, tailored designed by the omniscient God to work for all of us so that each one of us has the full experience tailor-made just for us. So each piece that comes your way is a gift of God to you to be part of this dystopic video game you live in, which is not a video game, nor is it the Matrix. It's, in fact, the real creation he made. Just those images of these fake creations are what we need for our poor atrophied imaginations to wake up and realize where we are. At least mine. That all made sense. I think I tied a knot on it. Meanwhile, Brian has decided to show us a map. Um, that's how I roll. My picture yes, is over your map. So, oh, that's kind of cool. What are you doing there? Flying? Is, it, is, this, is this your video game? It looks like, yeah, what's that is, old video game is, with the airplanes? This is, this is Athens. Can you see? I don't know if it shows up on your screen, but there's there is I can maybe make Parthenon right up there. Hang tight, hang tight, hang tight. I think I get it right. bigger for everybody. That should have done it. Oh, but then I'm in the way. 
Um, look at you is... make me do this live. Come on. Yeah, I know. Jetta Anakin Knight Cringewalker says, look into my caramel theory for your story. Peter Watts' blindside used it similar to what you're writing to scientifically plausible demons. That's kind of where I'm going. Um, uh, Super Chat, $5. Thank you so much, Jetta Knight. As always, I'm going to now shrink myself, and now you should all be able to see the I'm map. so happy that you do this this nerdy stuff so i don't have to okay so this is athens this is the parthenon up on this hill and then this little so that see this little dip and then this little outcrop here is mars hill where it's just this rocky outcrop mm-hmm. it's been there that's where they would sit and then right down here is this ancient athens and there's the temple of hephaestus right there Over you there. can see, you see the picture yeah, looking. yeah I remember it's like that. a mini parthenon been there what's the thing if you go left of hephaestus Hephaestus, yeah. that little open area where there's like the walks and stuff there, you're ho- kind of hovering yeah, over here? right now. What's all that? Right over here? That's just ruins. I it got in trouble been there. Some part of the ancient city center. I got in trouble there. I didn't know it was that close to Hephaestus, but I, I was there. And somewhere in that area, there's like a little statue with a, it's pretty thick actually, but the head was off. And I kind of climbed up on it to put my head like in a picture. I got I got yelled at by the guard. Yeah, he, yeah. He this was, is, there's a couple of those right there. Yeah, that's where it was. Headless statue. That's it. That's it. What well, man? What was I was? It had been two thousand and one, man. Nineteen years ago. Boom. Don't do that, kids. Don't be dumb. Don't go to foreign nations and break their laws. It's a bad idea. I didn't have much trouble, but you know, don't do it in the Philippines. Goodness, remember that or story? Singapore. Jeez, Singapore. That's the one. That's the one. <laughs> Goodness gracious. Okay, now you don't get to take up my whole screen anymore. You just, you just bought some uh, some space. How much how much time you got left here, Brian? What else do you want to talk about? I had something else too. I'm gonna go look for it after I get your face smaller. <laughs> you're like you're like massive right I now. I could back up. Massive. Look at his head. Like an orange <laughs> on a toothpick. Easter egg. Why won't it let me do this? There we go. You can talk. They don't need me. You can say something cool. Uh, let's see. I don't know what else to talk there about. I, I'm just, oh, so you? I haven't heard what you thought about this. This idea that. Um. I, so we are addicted to technology. I, I'm happy to make this point is that it's one of the pro- our problems is we don't think in terms of institution and office, but always in terms of advance and technology. And that's because we're, our minds are given over to evolution, right? We just think of things in terms of evolution uh, and not in terms of institution. And techno- so that means the things that change are the things that change are are given more value in our imaginations than the things that don't change. And it's one of the reasons why probably like fantasy goes back to a pre-technological world. Sometimes. Because, or in some ways, in some, I mean, it'll advance past. And I think maybe your steampunk stuff is like the opposite of this. It's like, I got to go mix like this well, yes. obsession what I love when I did this medieval, last right? summer Brian I spent like a week studying these genres because I was really curious about them and and discovering like the work that's been done on them they're used for different intents when it comes to theme and story and the steampunk particularly is is similar to the dystopia it's it's a hunger for nostalgia it's a, it's a looking to the past for a better future and dystopia is looking for the future to overcome the past so they're kind of like mirrors of each other um, steampunk goes back it's better than it was dystopia goes forward it's worse than it is and I'm gonna I'm gonna shove them together with some zombies and stuff. 
Um, and it's called Cosmic Horror. And Sean Johnson, a shout out to Sean Johnson, who points out that Co- Cosmic Horror is Lovecraftian because it's Lovecraft who wrote the first book, which had all of Tulu. I don't say it right, and all that. And Sean Johnson and I graduated eighth grade and we're confirmed together. And Sean, how are you doing, man? It's been a while. I, thank you. I was kind of a nerd and a jerk back then. So if I ever was rude, I'm sorry. Thanks for following. Um, and, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, you? I imagine nobody uh, that I went to eighth grade with is hanging out. Well, maybe. I think that's pretty unique. You know what? Believe it or not, I also have someone I went to sixth. I moved in seventh grade. So I went to two different Lutheran schools. And out of my eighth grade class, Sean is right there. Out of my sixth grade class, but graduating the same year, there is an L- other LCMS pastor who was one year ahead of me at the seminary, which was completely, I'd left in sixth grade. Like I'd never seen the guy again, right? And then we're at the seminary in the class together. Wow, that's odd. Zachary McIntosh, are you out there, man? He should be out on the, on the roster still somewhere. Um, hey, so, okay. You talked about evolution a moment ago. Mm. What if I told you I think I believe in evolution now? I probably. Doesn't surprise me. All right, let me have it. <laughs> um, so what you if and, you and Zeus? What if? Well, this is the thing. Like, like so much of the modernist materialist assertions are based upon major assumptions about limitations of reality, which science has pretty clearly found that they were wrong about some of these things. And, and again, the, the whole question of quantum physics is that we kind of don't know when you get down real low. It looks real weird and we can guess, but we're not sure at all. And so we can do some math instead, and that's what string theory is. And so they're off doing that because they can't actually figure out what's really going on. All right. So Can I, can I stop just to yeah, make yeah, yeah. like a quick point on that? And that is that this so we've been doing science or something like science for long enough to know that every generation is foolish i mean <laughs> yes. like the mark of science Blind. is that the last generation was wrong but for, for but we've so we've been through how many generations of this blind 12, and dogmatic generations yeah and so we know that every past generation was wrong but some for some whatever reason science says but we're right well how you you know what you Dude. are you're tomorrow's dummy. That's right. That's, it, I mean, it's so, just like the guy who says, this is the last days because look how bad it is. It's like, man, everybody said that since he left. You know, it's <laughs> saying it. Now, as Christians, we're supposed to think we're supposed to think it's the last. But day. not they mean like really, really like for yeah, sure my lifetime. Right. And and like I hope for this and I'm trying to teach yeah. myself to expect it more. But but we really so, shouldn't look at the news and say this time for sure we're right. It's the last days for sure. Well, the, what this means is that I can look at the scientific consensus today and no, say it's wrong, <laughs> it's wrong. <laughs> yeah, that's right because it's it good. always is wrong that's the in fact the whole point of science is that it's always wrong because as soon as it's not wrong then it's not science and now it's right? a law or a theory um yeah, yeah yeah so so, so okay. okay so you stop me so so we're, we're kind of in agreement on that <clears throat> but i want to push again on this quantum physics thing which the more they look at it the more they don't understand it i'm not going to try to detail all of it today but the long and short is that whatever's going on at the subatomic level is changing all the time. And it's changing in ways that we can't understand to the extent that the best the scientists can do is say, it seems to know we're watching us. We know that much. That's about it. Okay, so if God created all this, and this is in fact the word of God that is the substantial reality of nature itself. Let's say we got down to the level right before word of God was heard out of the microscope or whatever, right? We're right down at the bottom level. Why would I not believe that it could mold itself to meet the needs of the present creation, however it blessed well felt like? 
And if it were to do that, why could it not, within the radical, you know, uh, epigenetic, uh, multiple, multi-layered level coding of the DNA code, be able to manipulate itself chemically, by design, to change, in order to help creation curb itself, to stay alive long enough for Jesus to save all the people he wants to save. I don't have a problem with that. And if that's why we have white skin, black skin, if that's why we have, you know, a long beak, short beak. Um, if he curved survival of the fittest to make it serve his creation's ability to always produce and evolve as in get better because he designed it to do so. And this is what we always do. And that's life itself. And that's what eternity will be. Well, I don't have a problem with that. That's not what most people mean when they say evolution, but, but I don't have a problem with that. And I, and I, I don't want to let them have the word now. I don't think it's fair that they only get to describe the little paltry accidental mutation as evolution. I can't describe quantum physics arising into the reality I experience as a constant evolution created but sustained by God. Why not? Why well, I'm not? I'm trying to figure out if I want to understand what you're talking about. Did it? So I, I, I hope it made some sense to somebody. It's existential again. I'm sorry. Too deep, too fast. That's all right. I'm glad you... Th- it's, another, it's another place I'm glad you spend your time hey. thinking so that... Zach McIntosh is at Concordia San Antonio, which means he's in your neck of the country. Wow. How far is it to San Antonio for, uh, for y'all? Well, it's like an hour and a half when people are driving, but like 50 minutes now, COVID time. Because there's less traffic? There's no traffic. Yeah. 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 All right. Evolution. I'll go check it out. I got, I got more evolution coming because I think, I don't know. All the right, the real problem is thinking we're going to so evolve, no evolve to be something about. better. Think about like the Cro-Magnon man that they always trot out with the weird-looking skull. Yeah. Right. Well, what, what if that could happen in three generations with epigenetics, just because God did it? Because that's how He designed creation to be resilient. Can can evolution be understood as the resiliency of a created order refusing to die because God won't let it? I mean, why not? And then this is not to argue for death before the fall. This is not to argue for evolution as being the the place from which man arose. Not at all. Here, don't even don't here. even let me be heard going that way because I, I despise that stuff well that's the problem is you got so you got like five big problems uh evolution has a bunch of things hanging around the neck it so does. you got you got death before sin you have uh you have an essential continuity between animals and man uh that's oh, a but, big but, but we have that because they come from us because we're the dust we're the dust they are us as an extension we are the steward and lord in this again cosmic mystery so, so, so that's sacramental you're the, mystery you're saying the opposite of evolution but that right? it arises if we understand evolve as meaning to arise order to arise out of chaos the only way order arises out of chaos is because god speaks and it comes to be right oh, that's right so that's right i just but here's they, the thing here's, the, here's a guy named marcusa who in the 60s said the way to beat the conservatives is to take their terms change them and then use them all the time Oh, and eventually the new meaning will take over. And I'm just kind of like, you know what? I'm tired of like letting evolution only mean worshiping death when it can mean the progressive reality of God. But it doesn't have to be evolution. The bigger idea for me is this idea that, that God is so present in his design that his speaking initially was so clean that even with the fall now, it can continually react to us in such a way as to preserve the good. And that is a gorgeous thing to confess. Well, this is this is a true thing. I mean, I think what you're pressing towards, if I maybe if I can just simplify it for myself or say it in a way that I can get behind it, and that is that that not only is the word of God essential in redemption, it's the word of God is essential in creation, and that that means something much more than we normally think. Yeah. So that this world is a manifestation of the speaking of God. 
and we can experience the world because we still retain in some way, even though fallen and diminished, the original intent of being created in God's image so that we can read the world, which is not something that anything else in creation, maybe the angels can, but we can read the world. We can even, we can have an experience even of ourselves. And that's because we are the, we are word in flesh, the created Hmm. word in flesh, not the redemptive word in flesh, but yeah, that we can talk. We can put words down and take them up again, which is, that is unique, I think, if, uh, and to intuit a future from the present uh, in ways that uh, – I know some animals you can show they know how to use a tool and whatnot. I'm talking about significantly greater leaps than that, that I can leave behind me words which you will find and learn to understand. Um, that's a phenomenal thing. Whether hey, the code a, can do that's that. That's a pretty big jump to know if I'll ever understand what the heck you're talking Especially about. Especially with your oh, – with my handwriting. Especially with my handwriting. Um, so, uh, interesting comment. Jedi Knight says, remember, time is a creation, so time is subject to death and decay. Yeah, um, I do. I'm not sure that the where that connects. It definitely does connect to time-space theory, which is what I'm wrestling with, and God being outside of that and um, embracing and relishing that reality. Um, and then he asked, what is, is decayed time? Yeah, I'm with you on that one, though. Um, I don't know. What's decayed matter? You know, it's, it's what we call matter. It's undecayed matter. We really don't know what it is. And undecayed time, we don't know what that is. All we know is decayed time. There's not enough of it. I know that. <laughs> so, uh, hey, Brian, we're, 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 we're going on two hours here. What have we not talked about that you want to say before we close up here? We've talked about – in fact, we've talked about a lot of things that I didn't even want to talk about. Oh. <laughs> I don't, I've got nothing on my list. Good. Have um, we answered everybody's questions? No, I doubt it. I doubt it. What do you think about this? I believe that in about two weeks – we will have a much better idea of what permanent post-COVID life looks like. Not that what's there in two weeks will be what it is or that right. it will retain that through whatever second wave comes this fall and all this, but that we're going to get it. You're going to be able to kind of get a imaginary glimpse of what it will look like once we get this thing where it is. Mm-hmm. And I've been waiting for that more than even like the release factor um, because, you know, I could be out and go buy groceries or whatever against, you know, released where I wasn't allowed to before or whatever. That's not a law we have here. But um, but to me, that doesn't matter as much as for me as a person to be able to say, okay, now's the time when I think I can really start to think about planning next year. And until we get there, I'm hoping it's in two weeks. So what I'm asking is, what do you think? Do you think we'll know in two weeks? Do you think we need another two months before we kind someone of see that? I saw someone ask this question. They said, what, what decisions can you make now that you're going to be happy about next Thanksgiving? Oh, even like a week from now. And this is a really interesting thing, like how to, but it's hard to have perspective. I mean, it's one of the great gifts of the COVID is that it's, it's, um, it's wrecked our sort of sturdy assumptions about tomorrow. It's reminded us that just because today's like yesterday, that doesn't mean tomorrow is going to be like today. So that's nice. So we got to, it's just reminded us that, you, you know, man makes plans, but the Lord delights in messing those up. And so. So to not trust our plans so much, but I, I, I think, uh, I, I don't think it's going to be two weeks. I think it's, uh, well, maybe there's a couple of things. I'm not sure we're going to realize the full effect of this for years. Well, I true, mean, true. I, that's not kind of what I'm asking though, but, but I agree. I agree. Because that's a deeper I, question. I think what you're saying there, I think there's some, I think there was a lot of things that were happening it's like, um, you know, that you know how the prophets you talk about the shaking. Uh-huh. They're always talking about the shaking. Yeah. 
and the shaking it if something's not sturdy it falls and so there's a lot of things that are standing up but then there's a shaking the lord shakes things and then the things that are not kind of bolted to the ground they all tumble over and this is a great shaking and so but the problem is, I, I don't know if we've seen the things that have fallen because no, we just haven't been able to leave haven't. the house to see them. But if you had told me in November that Donald Trump would shut the borders to the United States in April and they'd let him, I wouldn't have believed you. Oh, no. No. Never. It has changed so much. The dynamic has changed so much. Um, and, and to get to that shaking itself, the debate— Whatever side of U.S. borders you're on, the debate which says open borders, there are no such things as borders, is a debate that does not live in the same reality as viruses and thieves and other things like them. Um, and uh, this, is a, this is a gut check of reality into our civilization in a way we couldn't ignore. I'm so grateful for that because we cannot—all of the push of the progressive uh, left to remove every moral boundary ever— this is a God's gut check on that. I'm not saying this is a response or some miracle for, you know, God's intervening with miracle things. I'm just saying, like, physically, it's gut checking the actual thought. <laughs> like, well, the idea, the ideology cannot sustain itself in this reality. And, yeah, right, and right. that's a gift to us. It's a gift yeah, to us. so globalism is done. I mean, it has it was to maybe, be, right? Like it was, I mean, it, I think it was a force single it on punch. Us. I mean, Donald Trump was a first punch, and then this is now. I mean, I think this is a knockout punch. It's, and it's because, you know, when there's it's, so you think of the medieval city, right? Everyone, all the peasants are living out on the land farming, but when the bell rings and the armies are coming, when the attack right? is coming, you run behind the wall. Yeah, you go, you go into the city, and so every so, so you extend out in freedom, but you retreat in in danger, and and it's so helpful to sort out what you're retreating behind mm -hmm. and so we retreat to our homes you know kids come back from college uh work i mean companies contract nations contract cities contract. everything contracts and when in that contraction you see where the borders are mm -hmm. you see where you're you see where the safety is it's, it, it has to happen in church too so there's a contraction in church and that contraction is I'm particularly interested. What what do we what did we retreat to? And we retreat to God's word, and that's just great. We retreat mm. to prayer, mm. which is exactly what we what we want to. So Psalm 46, you know, the city where God dwells in the city, and mm. so we come back to that city of God, and so that's I think that's happening now. I, I do. I agree. So I agree. I think I think people are seeing people in ways we haven't for a good long while. And the technology is still here, so you can't blame the technology entirely for this, although you kind of can. But it's also kind of the, the I don't want to say savior, but it's been the saving grace of technology is that as we've lost travel. Effectively, we've lost travel, right? Uh, at least the way we experienced it before. Mobility. Uh, yeah, yeah. But, but then there's other tech that now is doing more. Now this is good and bad, and God always uses it all for the good of those who love him in Christ. But just be aware of this you know, what do we keep of tech and how much do we need to rely on it now? And some of that will be told over the next two years. You know, how much is Brian, my question is this. Am I going to live in a different government in two years? Am I going to have different rules about what I can do as a citizen of this country with regards to my religion or not? And I want to know 
I want to know that as soon as possible because I'm going to adjust. You know, I'll figure it out. I like my rights. I'm a Westerner. I, you know, I got my live free or die shirts and all that, right? But if they take it away um, and they take it away and it's gone, I just want to get the church dealing with it. <laughs> you know, I want to get the congregation handling it and not believe in the world ended just because the American dream did. Yeah. I mean, it could be someone suggested to me that this is a practice run for the church under persecution. Yeah. And, uh, I don't know if that's true or not. You got me thinking about martyrdom. I told my wife the other day, you know what? I think my goal for this family is we're all going to be ready for them to kill us. That's like my yeah. primary goal. We're ready for it. Yeah. Ready for it. Did, did I tell you, um, I'm doing a lot of stretching these days with my prayer. Um, I kind of do them together and back and forth and memorizing stuff. I'll meditate on the term and do some stretches. Blah, blah, blah. So one of the stretches I've been doing is when you lie on your back, and you kind of get your elbows underneath you. So you're kind of lying on your neck. If you can imagine me on the ground right now, and you just kind of lift your legs up. And it's good on your you guys who have bad backs always do. You kind of pull your legs over you and you just pull your tug on your feet. And you're basically pulling on your back. But when you do that, if you have enough um, care and you've done it enough, uh, you can start to put your legs back straight and you can lie there sort of on your elbows and head, mostly a little bit of shoulders, completely vertical and upside down. And the only thing you have pretty much is of your, for me, my bare feet and my ceiling. And I think it was the second time I did that, I realized, actually what I thought was, I wonder if this is what it looked like for St. Peter. And ever since I had that thought, I do this stretch every day, once or twice a day now, morning, evening. And that is the thought I now rejoice to have go through my head. Not, I wonder if, but I'll be ready. I'll be ready to smile upside down. I even won't get a head rush for a while because you know, my hands will hurt. <laughs> you know, but for the head rush... I'll be like, no, no, I got this. Um, and why not? Why not see life why that way? Why not? Why not see life that way? Um, that so, Brian, world, Brian, I want to thank trouble, you. But be of good cheer. Amen. You, you've been the one to inspire this way of thinking about stuff. And so I want to thank you. You've been a friend through the last couple of years. And uh, um, oh, God be praised. you've been praying for it too, right? I know. So uh, rejoice with me in that. Thank you for your words. And there have been tons of comments in the sidebar this, this evening, this afternoon about uh, the work that Brian does. Um, so I know you all know where to find him, wolfmuller.co. Um, in fact, uh, you know, he's so much bigger than I am. He advertises on my show on Saturday mornings <laughs> <laughs> because that's, that's how big he is. I don't, he can afford oh my it. God, it's just worth it for the rise that's that right. it gets out of you. That's right. No, it's good TV all the time. Um, uh, so thank you for your time, Brian. We got to do this again in a little bit. Uh, if you like this, it'll be there on YouTube, of course, of course, but we plan to get it on the Podbean podcast as bonus content for this week. Also, um, if you are listening on Podbean because of the lack of sermons over the last couple of, um, months, goodness gracious, week and a half, so a month and a half. Uh, I know there's a lot of this content on the, on the podcasting channel besides Saturday morning chill and with me not doing uh, the creative stuff every week as much. Um, so if you're on just the podcast, I apologize for that. Some of that's COVID. I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to fix that. This will be there if you're at the end of it now for that purpose um, uh, for, for podcasting content. Um, oh shoot. And then I had another thing on that. Oh, oh, but Patreon. So but if you're on Podbean, you're like, well, where'd all the content go? Um, well, if you're on Patreon, there's more content there now as well. So if you're a subscriber on Patreon, I'm putting up something every week that's as random as it can get. Last week, I did two book reviews, both theological. This week, you got a little taste of what it looks like inside a writer's four drafts in front of them at one time trying to crank something out for a, a deadline. Um, so, you know, whatever you want to see inside my life, Patreon lets you do that. It also keeps all this stuff going. Um, so eventually maybe I can afford to, to uh, advertise on Brian's shows. Um, but rates are way too high. I doubt I would throw the money away. Uh, <laughs> uh, 
So anyway, Patreon, uh, Mad Mondays is my newsletter. You can sign up for that in the links below. Brian's newsletter comes out. It's called Wednesday, whatnot. You can sign up for that at wolfmiller.co along with everything else that he does. St. Paul Austin is his church. They got good services with like lots of video cameras and editing and, and uh, production value. It's quite the performance I hear. Oh, I got him with that one. So, um, Brian, I'm going to give you a last word, and then I'm going to say rock on when you're done. But, uh, again, thanks for being here tonight. Everybody, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for the support. What do you think? Send us on our we way. For, we forget all the time that Jesus sits on the throne, and he rules and reigns all things for the sake of the church. That's you. That's me. So, God be praised for that. We Jesus knew about corona a long time ago, mm. and he wasn't afraid. So, God be praised. Yeah, we will not wallow in the muck with those who have no hope. Rock on. <laughs>